the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Uh, particularly on the comments you made about HBCUs, I've had him on campus at Philander Smith. Uh, we worked on enterprise zones uh, during the Trump uh, tax reform effort to make sure that we had incentives to bring development back into uh, impoverished areas, whether they're urban or rural. So, look, this guy is an, an inspirational person, an incredibly hardworking member of the House and now the Senate. So I'm excited that he's chosen to be a candidate. Well, he's great. I really like him. I had a lot of people say, well, he doesn't have a chance. I said, yeah, that's what – and Jimmy said it to me today. He said, yeah, that's what they said about Barack. <laughs> I'm just saying, he, he's got a charisma about you him. You cannot count Scott out right no, now. No. I don't at all. Not in any way. His, his popularity is only growing. Yeah, and it's going to get bigger as we go along. So, uh, to be honest, both uh, both Trump and DeSantis should be looking over their shoulders, I believe, at least, as far as that. All right, so what's going on with the debt ceiling now, and and what's happening with the Freedom Caucus? I, I sent you an article that I came across that I wanted you to look at, and uh, maybe they've had a few of their teeth removed. Is that Do you think that's the case? Well, Dave, I think uh, I don't like uh, where we've come out of our victory last week, because I do consider... $2 trillion in cuts, work requirements on SNAP and TANF, uh, bending the curve on regulations, mm-hmm. including permitting reform. I consider it a modest victory. I mean, the choice was a clean debt ceiling led by Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. So, look, as I told you last week, I think that was the best decision that we could make. Not a perfect one. I wish we had $4 trillion in cuts. Well, some of our Freedom Caucus members voted no. Uh, they voted no on bringing the bill to the floor, which is typically never done because that means you're turning the floor over to the liberals and the Democrats. And they also voted no on the underlying bill. And the reason was they wanted $4 trillion in cuts. They wanted stronger regulatory reforms. Okay, I completely agree. But you weren't going to get that from President Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer in the Senate. That's just not, you know what was going to happen. And so you have to deal with reality. And I think they were not dealing with reality last week. So this week they've come back to the House uh, frustrated and angry. And uh, we need to get our group back together, talking, working together, because uh, people who want balanced budgets and conservative values in this country, we need our Republicans in the House working together and not at odds. Yeah, and I I agree with that, and I think that you guys got got a win. I really do. Is it the win that I wanted? No, it's not. Nope. But I got to tell you what, even when we had control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, we weren't getting the wins that I wanted. And it it's been that way even in the state of Arkansas. I went eight years with a Republican governor that I wasn't getting the wins that I wanted to see. Now I got a governor that's in here in in uh, Arkansas that we're getting the wins that we wanted. It takes time. Yeah. Well, uh, it does. But let's not discount what we've also gotten done. This is I what agree. This me. You know, 
we got a border security bill through this House with Republican votes, including moderates in the North, right? Uh, amazing. Well, that was the same cooperation and collaboration between all sides of the conservative voices and uh, Republicans in the House. Same on energy reform led by Bruce Westerman. So I'm optimistic, but we've got to get uh, we've got to get our our folks back on the same page. Otherwise, you're turning the world over back over to Joe Biden. Yeah, I agree. Hey, Congressman, uh, I, I, I agree. I'm ultra conservative, but you got to play the cards that you're dealt. And I do think this was a win. But how much of this would be some members p- trying to position or use this to bargain to gain more more powers or get uh, concessions uh, from McCarthy? We saw this before, and yeah. I think this is what we're seeing again. Is that is that your take? Or uh, I think to some degree it is the same group uh, that were the it's the same group from January for the most part. Um, and what I, what I don't like is where people are impugning other members' motives. Like, I don't question anybody's motive if they operate in private and talk about, let's see what we can do to get the best outcome. But a lot of folks on both sides of the aisle and in both parties go out and uh, get out in public and accuse their colleagues of something that's not true, you know, and it just creates an atmosphere where we're constantly uh, having to regroup, and that's where we are right now due to some of the rhetoric last week on both sides. So I think we're being a good place. Are they trying to leverage the situation? Sure, uh, but that's also politics. You know? Now, that's exactly what uh, Congressman Westerman said last week. He said that some of the people that were coming out and screaming about the deal he said he had talked to them behind the scenes, and they were all excited about the deal. Yeah, I'm not going to name names, but some of the people who are the most out there on television right now criticizing it were the ones who created it and supported it behind the scenes. So I don't operate that way. I think everybody in Arkansas knows that. That kind of thing drives me nuts because I spent 40 years in business, and I don't operate in this make-believe world up here sometimes, the politics world. But uh, it is frustrating very frustrating when you're trying to hold a slender majority uh, together in order to stop the avalanche of crazy from the left. So that's why it's important work. What are are we to make about uh, this information now that's coming out about Afghanistan, that the administration knew beyond Mm -hmm. a shadow of a doubt that this was Mm -hmm. all going to go, you know, three sheets to the wind, so to speak? Yeah, so this is so important. Ever since uh, spring, uh, the first two months of the Biden administration, we got wind that he was going to pull the trigger and pull out of Afghanistan. Democrats and Republicans are offended by this. And ever since that moment, Greg Meeks, Democrat of New York, and Mike McCall, Republican of Texas, both have pressed the Biden administration for the facts. And this week, after working on it for, gosh, um, 18 months, we have what's called the dissent cable. This is where the embassy staff in Kabul wrote back to the State Department saying what they thought the risks were and giving their candid opinion about the position of the United States. And that is coming to the members of the House uh, Foreign Affairs Committee. I serve on that committee. I will be reading this memo. 
and it will be the first look that we have of of what um, we think the real fact situation uh, and people who were advising the president. And we want to get the same information, obviously, out of uh, General Milley and, and DOD. Yeah, from what I'm hearing, that's not going to be the case. Uh, no, but look, we also <laughs> have a lot of we have a lot of other sources, I would say, on the the military side. Um, and it, what's the purpose of this? Well, the purpose is not just to rub Joe Biden's nose in a failed policy mistake that cost 13 lives, created mass chaos, uh, trapped thousands of people still in Afghanistan, uh, including people who helped the United States, uh, trapped literally millions of, of women who were educated under the freedoms that were put in place after uh, 9-11. This is to learn from it, you know, and to not repeat these mistakes because it's hurt our reputation around the world. Congressman, when that all happened, one thing that has always stuck with me, and I'll I'll just be honest, I'm never going to forgive, is the fact that he left Americans behind enemy lines. Yeah. And this is something that we don't need to say, oh, that's yesterday's news. We no. need to know the truth. It's still today's news. Yes. And, uh, it is. To, Jimmy, you're 100% right. So we left behind women. We left behind American friends, American contractors. We left behind, uh, to President Trump's uh, consistent comment, we left behind uh, military equipment. What's the real ascertainment on that as opposed to what the spin is on television? And we did not have to do what Biden approved. This is the main issue, I think, on a bi- and I say strongly bipartisan. The military experienced Democrats share this view with the Republicans that the way we exit was completely wrong. And, and we've talked about this on the show before. And we're going to get the facts of why didn't we keep Bagram Air Force Base with a NATO, modest NATO force, maintain our ISR, our surveillance capabilities in the country, which helps us counter uh, not only terrorism, but counter China and Iran, FYI, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, exit through Bagram. But instead, the president shut that down and had everyone go to Karzai International Commercial Airport. And you saw what happened. It was a catastrophe. We haven't seen it since the uh, Saigon airlift uh, at the end of the Vietnam War. So uh, it was just catastrophic. I mean, Biden joins the failed Iran extradition uh, by Carter and the sad situation in the Ford administration, you know, of, uh, of Vietnam. All right. We'll be back. We've got to go to break in. Our guest, of course, as he does each Wednesday, most of the time. We may miss a couple of Wednesdays during the course of the year. But Congressman French Hill from District 2 is with us now on the Dave Ellswick Show. Congressman, of course, uh, French Hill with us, District 2. Congressman, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wade into the battle that a lot of people are afraid to wade into, but I do think it needs to be talked about. I'm tired of all this uh, pride stuff about Mm-hmm. LBTQ. I, I'm tired of it. I mean, I Pulaski County Special School District and everybody else that's doing this, and they just they keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, and I'm tired of it. Yeah, well, we're once again we go in these social fads uh, in our society, and man, this one is just like over the top, uh, and it came to a head 
uh, in my world this week when the uh, uh, Veterans Hospital, the McClellan Hospital in Little Rock, ran up the rainbow flag uh, up the flagpole. And, look, my view on federal property uh, from the, and I'll say this from the White House, down to the uh, uh, commissary at the smallest base somewhere in the deepest jungle of the world somewhere, I think you fly the American flag, and the Congress has authorized and directed all federal facilities to fly the POW MIA flag, period, full stop. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't fly the rotary flag. We don't fly the fight polio flag. We don't fly the uh, support police flag. It's just not our job. We're the United States government, and we should fly the American flag on our facilities. And now Congress has directed we fly the POW MIA flag, period, full stop. We don't, we don't have, we don't do social fads and trends at federal facilities. That's my personal view. All right, so who'd made that decision at the VA? So I have a copy of the memo, which we've provided to the chairman of our Veterans Affairs Committee, Mike Boss from Illinois, a good friend to the Arkansas delegation. He's a uh, retired Marine. And uh, the Dennis McDonough, who is the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, uh, said that you could do it. He didn't direct that you have to do it. And he just, he prescribed the formula, you know, as to how one could do that. So that decision was made at a location-by-location location decision. Okay. Doing Now, was it flown here in Little Rock? That's what I've been told uh, by constituents. I have not... Uh, been in the city on Wilbur Mills Expressway to see it personally, but that's what I was told. I'll find out just as soon as I get out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you a call and let you know, okay? But I just I just think that, you know, this is a common sense thing because, yeah. and I, I call it a fad, and that's not meant to be insulting. Absolutely not. I'm very respectful of everybody, their views, their feelings, their uh, the desire for civic respect all that and you are too but i mean when you are compelling people to do things that are a social trend i don't think that's the responsibility you know of the the federal government in this way now if they want to go petition in the supreme court right uh on a point of view that's their right to do that at the department of justice and they should uh, make sure people are treated uh, with equal uh, justice under the law no matter what they are if they're an american citizen so but this just struck me as not the right thing to do. You know, and it just creates division, I think, in mm -hmm. our society. I'm, I hate to say that because I know they think it's the opposite because they all have diversity, equity, and inclusion policies now. And somebody at the staff said, wouldn't this be a great way to signal that we have a great uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well... We'll let it go at that. We'll pick it up again next week. Maybe by then you'll know who over in the VA decided to, to, to run the flag up on the, the flagpole. But we'll talk about that next week. I appreciate your time today. We'll let you get back to work. How's that? Great to be with you. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Dave. Thank you very much. Okay, Congressman French Hill here on the Dave uh, Show. I'm going to find out about this. Yeah, yeah, we'll make yeah. the calls. Yeah. We'll get who, who made the decision. Who signed? Who signed the order? Somebody's put it, put their name on paper. Who was yeah, it? We yes, would sir. like to know that. All right, coming up at uh, 735, it'll be Congressman Bruce Westerman. We're going to be talking to him because evidently his committee that he chairs 
are turning their eyes towards the Interior Secretary, uh, the Secretary of the Interior, better way of saying it, and is she pushing work towards her own daughter? That is illegal, and we'll talk about that with uh, Bruce Westerman when we have him back on here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Yeah, well, <clears throat> Deb Holland, the Interior Secretary, is from New Mexico, and uh, she's, she's Native American, but um, she's been making some some rules that uh, we've known about, may have been unduly influenced by her daughter and her husband. Her daughter, and, and she herself was a member of this uh, radical activist group that basically said the United States has passed salvaging uh, because of the atrocities committed in the past, basically. Um, but her daughter came here to D.C. with this organization, uh, led a protest. Her husband works for this organization. And just last week, Deb Holland made a new rule to uh, take land out of uh, Chaco Canyon and put it in a, a wilderness area where uh, no... Uh, natural resources extraction could occur in this wilderness area. Now you got the, the Navajo tribe who has developed oil and mining resources, even an electrical generation plant, and they were very opposed to this, but this Pueblo Action Network that she and her family have been associated with for a long time were uh, supporting it. And, you know, to me that's a direct violation of of the ethics laws uh, where her, you know, she or her family can't benefit from any of her actions as the Secretary of Interior. So we crafted a letter. I got a lot of other members to sign on to the letter, and we sent it to the the Department of Interior, to the the folks over there in charge of the ethics. We've asked for a lot of information, and so far we've heard nothing from them, and from what I've read in the press, even the press can't get a statement out of them uh, to explain her actions. All right, so what's your next step? I mean, you're the chairman, so you're the man that now is wielding the gavel over there. What's what's your next step? Well, I have subpoena power if I need to use that, uh, but hopefully they will come clean and give us these documents. You know, one thing we asked for was a copy of the ethics pledge that she signed. And if you remember when Biden went in, he said, things are going to be different. We're going to have all these stringent ethics rules. And uh, he, he layered rules on top of the already existing ethics rules. And we want a copy of her signed ethics statement to see if there are any exceptions in there. Um, now, that's a start. And then we want, we've asked for correspondence between her and her daughter on issues related uh, to this uh, radical uh, environmental group. I don't even know if I would call them environmental group. And also uh, correspondence between her and her husband uh, on these these issues that she's taken very strong actions on in her role as Secretary of the Interior. So hopefully they will be releasing that information, and if not, we do have ways to get it. Congressman, you were talking about possible ethics violations in it's something we run into here in our own home state, but there are ethics rules, ethics laws, but the problem we see is when they're violated, there's really not a lot of teeth in accountability for violating those laws. So if, there, if those ethics have been violated, 
what are we looking at? What can actually be done to this to the sector? Well, um, that depends on you know she could resign. Biden could could ask her to resign. Um, you know, if we do an investigation and we find out there's been some kind of uh, criminal action, we can refer that to the Justice Department. So uh, the, the key thing is to do your homework and do the investigation, and that's the part that we're in. We actually have been working on this letter for quite some time, and it just so happened that the Secretary made this ruling last week, I believe the day before we were planning to release the letter anyhow. So it was pretty good timing on, on pulling this information together and, and good staff work. Um, you know, this is a lot of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, that people don't realize, but there's a tremendous amount of research. And, you know, we're not going to write something in a letter like that that we don't have very well documented before we write the letter. Well, yeah, you guys aren't Democrats, so you, you, you give them the facts. You don't make stuff up. Right. Um, <laughs> Sorry. That's that's why we want the information. Uh, you know, we're giving, giving them a chance to explain, but we kind of already know there's no way to explain these actions in a rational way. So do you... And I think do, that's why they're not responding. Okay, so if you don't get a response from them, do you write a personal letter to the president about this? No. Um, I mean, I'm sure the White House has copies of our letter, um, and I'm sure they're well aware of what, what's going on here. But our next step would be to, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know if the subpoena would be the next step. It may be a, a meeting. Hopefully they're going to give us the information we asked for, but if not, we do have a process to go through, and I will, as chairman of the committee, fully exercise the, the process that we have, we have got to get this administrative branch under control. And uh, it's going to take not just congressional oversight, but we've got to start chipping away at their budget. And, uh, you know, that's that's the main leverage that Congress has over, uh, over the administration is with their budget. And, you know, I've talked to the folks on the Appropriations Committee I may have told you on here that every time I invite an administration official to testify before our committee, if they don't come, I immediately generate a letter to the Appropriations Committee asking them to cut funding for administrative salaries. Mm. And you know, I'm very serious about exercising the power of the purse to get these out-of-control bureaucrats under control. And they have no, uh, no responsibility. They're not responsible to anyone. They kind of live in their own little fiefdom over there, and uh, Congress has ceded so much power to them over time that they're able to be the, the you know, create the law, execute the law, and then be the, the justice system on top of it with the administrative law judges and that process that actually started back in the FDR administration. So what do you expect? Do you expect that you're going to have to subpoena the uh, Secretary of the Interior and have, has have her answer questions directly to you, to your committee? That, that's certainly on the table. If, uh, if we don't get the information, that's the tool that I have. Uh, I hope it doesn't come to that, but I'm not at all afraid to use it if it does. I don't want to use it um, 
haphazardly, but this is one that rises to the occasion that if they don't produce information, I'll likely use the subpoena power. Yeah, it's the same thing that they're doing, uh, you know, with the FBI right now. And, uh, you know, they keep telling Ray, if you if you don't comply, we're going to find you in contempt of Congress. Yep, and that could happen sooner or later. It's the same issue. The uh, Oversight Committee asked for the this document that we, I mean, they know it's there. The chairman of the committee has seen the document. He wants everybody else on the committee to be able to see it. And the, the FBI doesn't want others on the committee to see it. So, um, you know, that one's going to rise to uh, not just a subpoena, but a contempt of Congress if they don't, they don't produce information. I, I know it's got to be frustrating, Congressman, because it's frustrating for us as citizens why, why transparency is so hard and difficult. And I know it's got to be frustrating to you to get those answers. Besides those tools, looking long-term, what are some of the things that Congress needs to do to change that? Well, we need to uh, regain that, that power uh, that we that has been ceded to the administration over time. And it started with the Administrative Power Act back in the, uh, the uh, FDR administration. Uh, we've got a bill called the RAINS Act that says that any kind of rule that the administration puts in place has to come back before Congress to, to be approved. And, you know, the Arkansas legislature uh, did that. It was something that, that I worked on back in the day, and we, we got it done by doing a referred amendment that the people approved. So now you have those legislative council meetings that go uh, you know year-round. And every time an administrative agency makes a rule, the legislative council meeting has to approve that rule to make sure it complies with the law. We desperately need something like that here in Congress. Uh, we're actually supposed to vote on the RAINS Act this week, but that is, uh, that is another area that, uh, for some reason, our friends across the aisle don't want to support reining in the, uh, the administration. So... Um, a lot of opportunities and a lot of work to do, and we know what the solutions are. We just have to be persistent in putting good policy forward and taking that legislative power away from the administrative branch. And I think the Supreme Court will help us with that. We just have to step up and uh, start passing the right laws. And we need a, we need a Senate and a, con- and a White House that will help get that in, in the law. We'll come back. we got uh, another question. I'll, I'll get you to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court. You were just talking about reining in uh, power of some of these, uh, uh, not committees, but, uh, you know, like the EPA and, and people like that. Agencies. Agencies, thank you. And the, uh, the Supreme Court did that uh, last week with the EPA. We'll talk a little bit about that. Then I'd like to talk to you about uh, the uh, – the pride flag flying out in front of the VA here in, in Little oh, Rock. Yeah. I'd like to talk about that he with is, you. You trying to get my blood pressure up early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I'm just making I've got sure a lot you to say about that. Yeah. All right, well we'll hear what you have to say when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about the employee retention credit. Uh, what is ERC? 
Well, it's $26,000 per W-2 employees or fundable tax credits, not a loan. That means that you as a small business person wouldn't have to pay it back. And there's no strings attached on those funds. They can be used for different things. What's new about it? Well, the qualifications have changed. Used to be it was really difficult to get this. All right, back with uh, Congressman Westerman, District 4. Let's talk a little bit real quickly. The Supreme Court went up against the, or the EPA went up against the Supreme Court on waters of the USA, and they lost. And the, uh, the couple out there, I think it was in Utah, that had been fighting the EPA for four or 15 years, finally won their case against the EPA. It's, it's those kinds of cases that help you in Congress, is it not? Yeah, it sure does. And you know, it was the Sacketts who tried to build a home in a subdivision. This has been over 10 years ago. And they were told by the, uh, I believe it was the Corps of Engineers but it, or, or the EPA, one of them, that because of the waters of the U.S., they couldn't build this home. Uh, and I'm, we're talking in Utah. And you think of waters of the U.S. as oceans and rivers and navigable waterways. That's right. But they, they uh, pushed this rule out that um, anything that fed into a river or stream was part of the waters of the U.S., which basically covers every square inch of ground in our country because yeah. water runs downhill. Uh, but the Sacketts continue to fight this, and just uh, a few weeks ago, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Sacketts, struck down the Biden-Obama version of WOTUS. The Trump administration had fixed this in the rule, but the uh, Biden administration went right back to the Obama version of the rule, which is very uh, – it puts a huge drain on – uh, people being able to build things in the U.S. when you've got to get a permit from the Corps of Engineers to build a house in a subdivision. It's what this had resulted in. I just came back. I spoke at the National Association of Home Builders breakfast this morning and, and discussed this issue and how important it is for all kinds of construction across the country. Well, last question for you. I kind of alluded to it, and it got your, your blood pressure up about 15 uh, – 15 degrees, I guess, and that is uh, the LGBTQ flag, pride flag, is flying in front of the VA in Little Rock. Yeah, so I'll give you a little background on this day. In my office, I have an employee who's dedicated to veterans affairs and military casework, and it's been frustrating to me ever since I've been in Congress that we have to have a full-time employee and then spread the work out among other employees just to help veterans get the benefits they were promised to get. You know, if you're a veteran that signed up to protect and serve our country um, and took an oath to do that and you were made promises, you shouldn't have to go to your congressman to get a doctor's visit at a, at a VA facility. So I've already got some ill feelings towards the VA. This weekend I started getting... <laughs> calls from veterans saying and sending me pictures of this rainbow flag flying at the Little Rock VA and it just went all over me to know that the suicide rate for veterans is at an all-time high they can't get in to get their benefits and now some woke person decided we're going to fly the rainbow flag there and my veterans were offended but when they're offended I'm offended and I thought I, I called Mike Boss, who's the chair of the VA committee, and we, we texted. Uh, he was aware of it. He was upset about it. He's a retired Marine. Um, 
And I thought, well, I'm going to calm down a minute. And I was out mowing my yard, and the more I mowed the yard, the matter I got. I finally called my chief of staff, and I said, I don't care where he is or what he's doing. I want to talk to the VA secretary, like, immediately. And this is Saturday. I said, I work all the time. Or that was that was actually Friday. I said, I work all the time. Uh, and if they're going to make rules like this, I want to talk to them. Well, sure enough, a little later, uh, my phone rang with a D.C. number on it. And uh, uh, I'm normally pretty calm and cool, but the, the VA secretary knows in no uncertain words how I feel about his rule, Dan McDonough, or not, or I don't know if his name's Dan or whatever it is, but I told him, um, you know, I asked him, by what authority did he do this? And he kind of milly-mouthed around about something about the GSA. I said, well, what congressional authority do you have to fly a uh, some kind of social messaging flag at a VA? And he finally said, well, I, I did that. I said, so it was your decision to fly rainbow flags at VAs across the country and to offend my veterans. He said, yes, that was my decision. Um, and I've commenced to tell him that I didn't care what he tried to do or that he was going to have somebody opposed to him. He said, well, Mr. Chairman, I hope I can regain your trust. I said, you can start with taking those flags down and focusing on veterans instead of on your uh, social justice agenda. Um, so fast forward, we've got a bill that uh, Representative Chairman Boss is uh, putting out that says the only flags you can fly at a VA are the, the U.S. flag, the state flag, a flag of the military branches or the POW-MIA flag. We sent a letter out yesterday, and uh, somewhere this craziness has to stop. They've got a, they can take their social justice issues somewhere else, but give our veterans the respect they deserve and give them the service they need and, and you know do your stinking job that you were hired to do instead of trying to make some social statement at our veterans hospital thank you mr congressman i want to thank you personally bruce that's a great thing that you did it really is as, as a veteran i say thank you to you well thank thank you and that's what we all should be saying to veterans or thank you for your service not making it difficult to get your services and then putting something that's offensive to a lot of veterans uh, there when they go in. Uh, you know, I asked the secretary, I said, so if I have a veteran that wants to get the Christian flag or, or whatever flag, a St. Patrick's Day flag flown, what do they have to do to make that happen? And he said, well, I, ha I haven't really thought about that. I said, well, what other uh, social issue flags have been flown at a VA facility throughout history? He said, well, to my knowledge, the rainbow flag is the first one. Yeah, that what doesn't and, surprise uh, me. Right. All so right. And we've actually found out there are he, – he's violated a, uh, a law that Congress had about what flags can be flown. So, right. you Con know, there, Congressman, there's justice warriors. I, yeah. I, I got to let you go. We are out of time. But, again, thank you for what you've done. More of the Dave Ellswick Show in just a moment. It's middle of the weekday. We're closer to Friday than we were on Monday. And then we're going to talk a really important topic right now. It's a topic that I've covered many, many times over the 23 years I've been here in in Little Rock. And it seems like we just 
continue to keep our wheels in the mud and spinning them instead of getting something taken care of. And there's no reason why something's not been taken care of. I mean, Stodel and I used to get into it about this. And I've worked with a lot of different groups, the Dorcas House, Nehemiah House, and uh, the Ark, and all the rest of them about homeless people here in, in the city. There's something that has to be done about homeless people. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those people, I've, I've, I've got grace for the homeless people. There's some homeless people that want to stay homeless. They don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be told where they got to live at and where they got to stay at, but they just got to know what the rules are. I mean, I take you right down here on University, which runs by uh, our station, down by, uh, is that 430? Mm-hmm. That's right there. And you go over into the little bit of woods that's over there, and there's a huge homeless encampment in there. Huge. And it's not the most, how do we want to put this? It's not the most sanitary place in the world. It isn't. It's, 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 it's really bad. And uh, they, they, you know, some people come out and sit by the, the exit there and, and panhandle, and then they get, some of them get done, and then they go back into the woods, and another group comes out, and they panhandle. There's one guy that's in a wheelchair. I don't know if he lives over there in that wooded area or not. I have no idea. Got a lady here that's been studying this uh, a lot, and um, I got to give Jimmy credit. He brought uh, brought her on today. I'm looking forward to talking to her. Introduce your guest to yeah, us. Yeah, Tra- Tracy Epson is uh, is become an expert. She was kind of forced to become an expert on homelessness in Little Rock, and what you were talking about is the camps. The way Tracy uh, got into this is her parents owned some property, and homeless people had set up camps. They homesteaded. Yeah, squatted. Yeah, that's the that's the better word for it. And so she tried to help her mom and dad with this issue with the city, and boy, did she hit a brick wall to the point that not only and it's not LRPD's fault, but. You know, they would call LRPD and say, hey, can you get these people off? And they'd say, hey, there's nothing we can do. But yet then the city code would come and fine them for the mess. <laughs> so No, wait, they would find your parents? Yes. Okay. And so through her fight, she dug in, and she actually, to her credit, has really educated herself that she actually knows more about the homeless issues and how it's being dealt with around the country and all the programs better than the mayor and his staff do. And she met with us, the mayor last week. So, uh, you know, we're glad to have you on here to kind of tell us what's, what is going on in Little Rock. Give us the, give us the base of where the homeless situation is right now. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks, Jimmy. Um, basically, for a couple of years I've been following this issue. For a couple of years, as you mentioned, um, we had squatters on the land. Move her microphone up. There we go. Yeah. Now we'll be able to hear her better. Go ahead. We had squatters on, on some land um, that my family owned, and basically we had no recourse. Uh, we put up signs, no trespassing, things of that nature, but it led me down this rabbit hole. So the city locally, the planning commission, they have been great to work with. They realize it's a problem. Um, but again, they don't have they don't have the support. So, um, going down this rabbit hole for about a year and a half, we have been in- incentivizing people around the state 
from Jonesboro, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, from all the corners to send their homeless and drop them off in the North Little Rock bus depot. We buy the one-way ticket, the homeless come here, and then they are just here, here, for lack of a better word. So from there, this has grown into now nationwide. I spoke to a handful of homeless uh, people a couple of weeks ago, and they are from Washington State. So it has so they're migrating. My migration is occurring from other states to Little Rock. Correct. Why do they want to come to Little Rock? They don't know. There's no answer for that. But what's really funny is that when I met with uh, the mayor, uh, they want to follow the Seattle model. Okay. Okay. So they're coming from Washington State. But whatever they're doing, the mayor wants to do, and they're sending their homeless to us. Correct. (laughs) Now, you know, I have to be honest. I mean, common sense says maybe you don't want to follow their way of handling things if they got to farm their people out to other states. Correct. There's two approaches to homelessness um, with Housing First. You can either assume that once when you give um, a person shelter, then all their other problems go away. That could be mental illness. That could be addiction. They're all tied into one. Sure. So that's one approach. The other approach is address the mental health, address the addiction, and then provide the housing and provide the infrastructure, and then the person can can eventually get back on their feet. It's more of a hand up. So one's a hand out and one's a hand up. Okay. Um, But, of course, our city's going the first route. Okay, so we're going to give the hand out instead of a hand up. Now, there's going to be—I can hear it already—and that is, if you're going to give them treatment, where are they going to stay? Correct. All right. So what do you, what are, what are we supposed to do there? Um, those are those are one of several questions I proposed. Um, the city has planned micro villages. One is through the county. And that's going to be off Chico, and that's going to be run by DePaul out of Chicago. And that is going to be, that's gearing up from Judge Hines. That's from Barry Hines, County Judge, Pulaski County Judge. Right, So that's going to be the Pulaski one. The one in Little Rock is Frank Scott's baby, and that's going to be off Roosevelt. It's going to house about 150. They are little pods, about 250 square feet, and it's going to be for homeless uh, they do not currently have any protocols for length of stay, um, how they handle addiction, who does the detox, who does the med management. Children and families will be welcome, so mixing population. Um, and, again, that's a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. Well, I would agree because we hear about all the crime that goes on in these homeless encampments. Mm-hmm. But rest assured, there's going to be a security guard there. To <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rest assured. All right. Just like we're going to have one police officer in every high school in, in Arkansas. But, I, I mean, yeah, I'm. this is typical government. All right. Explain to us these, these micro villages. I mean, who came up with this idea? Um, statistically, there's, there's several. There's Portland, Seattle, Austin. There's microvillages. Well, that's three cities I definitely want to follow right now. Right? Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. So the county one is following the Austin model. So that's their model. The city's following the Seattle model. 
but for for any micro village to be considered successful and so when when mayor frank scott said successful it's not there's not enough data they haven't been around 10 to 20 years for anybody to even be in recovery it's got to be a 90-day process mm-hmm. and it, it just makes no sense. So they keep saying, oh, we're going to follow this very successful model. You can't claim any microvillage a successful model, especially if you are incentivizing people to live there. Can I can I make a suggestion to the mayor when next time you see him, say, this Dave Ellswick wanted me to tell you this. Go visit the Nehemiah house. Yes. Go visit the Dorcas house. Absolutely. And see what they're doing. Absolutely. They've got a. They've got. They got. It's working there. Yes. Why can't that be duplicated? Absolutely. Our house does a great job. Dorcas House and yeah. Francis House. Yeah. They do phenomenal work. Oh wait, they're they're places of faith. Of course, they never want to talk to no. them. No. What What are the? Give us the differences between the ones that are successful that Dave and you were just talking about, and the failures of the Seattle model. What are the What are the differences here? Number one, they are gender segregated. That's right. That's okay. number one. Um, and as Dave brought up, they are faith-based. If I've worked uh, with the addiction community for a hot minute, and so many of them are faith-based. They realize that, just like John 316, it's a year-long program. What a great faithful, program. And it's a great program, but... Once when somebody is in recovery for a long period of time, they realize they can't do it by themselves. Mm -hmm. They do follow a faith-based program. It is 12 steps. And, again, compare it to a med management addiction recovery program such as Suboxone, it's a different different beast. It's different. A whole different philosophy. It is. It is. And these successful models are faith-based. How many, and Dave, this will astound you, but you've done the research. Tell the folks, based off the stats and everything, as far as homeless people, what's the percentage of homeless people that are addicts? Over 90%. Over 90%. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. No. That's why they're out asking for donations yeah. on every street corner and every uh, interchange. Yeah. You're, you're not helping them when you give them money. You know what you should do? Go to Dorcas House or go to uh, Nehemiah House, and you've got these coins that you can buy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get those coins, and you give one of those to them. And they, they they won't thank you for it, but I'm just telling you, you give them one of those coins. And what it does, lets them sleep somewhere mm-hmm. that's safe, lets them, you know, get in the showers and, and get some meals. And I think where I'm going to this is... It sounds really good to say, hey, we're going to build these micro-villages and these small houses to house homeless people, okay? But that doesn't solve the problem, does No, it, it? does not. No. But The also, problem is what she said, 90% yeah, have an addiction yeah. problem. Right. And what, what I find also interesting is, why are we always being reactive and not proactive? Mm-hmm. Why are we not talking about, well, A, not incentivizing people to come here, and overrun a system that we don't have the infrastructure for anyway. But why are we not addressing that on the front end? Because there seems to be the tail is wagging the dog. So why isn't the mayor calling Seattle and says, quit sending your homeless people to us? 
Well, he said, I, you, t- you had told me in conversation when we mm-hmm. were leading up to the show when I was doing my research mm-hmm. that the mayor said he, he doesn't know anything about it. He, no. he says he doesn't even know anything about Jonesboro sending people no. there, right? No, and I actually called them personally, and I talked to different departments. Um, I will not talk about names. Sure, that's no, um, But uh, I understand. Yes, they said absolutely we did that. And then when I met with the, fr- um, with the mayor... He, no, we don't do that. You need to give me a name. And I'm like, well, with all due respect, you're the mayor. I think you can pick up the phone and find out a name more than me. The reality is is people are being sent here. Why are they being sent here? Are they being told this is a sanctuary city for the homeless? Um, That that term was used several times in my my conversation last week. Mm Mm-hmm. So I can't say I can't see it. How way. is it when you when you use that term? Okay, in uh, sanctuary city for homeless, what was the mayor's response to that? Um, he called it sanctuary. I did not. Oh, um, he did. Yes, he did. And he just kept saying, "My fellow brothers and sisters um, that need refuge, they can come to the sanctuary city of Little Rock." Wow, and. Uh, you know, there's a place for grace. I'm not sure. saying that there's Absolutely. not a place for sure. grace, but there's also a place for responsibility. Yeah. Right. And uh, we tend to go light on the responsibility and go heavy on the grace part, and we'll talk more about it as we go along. I've got to get a break in. I'm, I'm happy that you're here, Tracy. Thank you. I'm going to have you on more than just this time, though. Oh, I'll be you. ready for that. Yes, sir. Okay. All right, don't forget about East End Towing. Doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. Doesn't matter uh, if it's a one of those little tiny cars that people drive that are really you know tree huggers or whatever, or if you drive an eighteen wheeler. Uh, the folks at East End Towing have the equipment to handle your problem on the side of the road. I mean, these are guys that are part of the Arkansas Towing Recovery Board. They're licensed. They're insured, and all of their trucks are permitted uh, here in the state. And uh, they know what to do. So no matter the situation, East End Towing will handle it. They'll send out the proper equipment. They'll send out uh, people that know how to handle that situation. And all you have to do is call them at 501-888-8849. That's 501-888-8849. You use the towing system I use, East End Towing. And, uh, you know, we don't have any. uh, We've got our guests in the studio. They're not on the phone. North Little Rock Police Chief coming up in the next hour, correct? Yeah, 9 o'clock. All We're right, going to have Chief Tessing. We'll be talking with him. Going to give us a half hour. We'll, we'll talk with him. And we can ask this question of him. Sure. How big of a problem is the homeless well, population in just, North Little Rock? And she just said it. They're, they're dropping them off at the bus station in North Little Rock. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay, so, so with, that in, with all of this in mind, you said that when you talk to the mayor, mm-hmm. it's not really his idea it's some kind of management company's idea of how to build these things? Correct. Um, two of my main questions that I proposed was length of stay. If you don't have a length of stay, then you're kind of just willy-nilly, you know, what does this look like? Tell me tell me your business model. Um, they really don't have one. Mm-hmm. And so they sent out bids. And the bids would be, um, I'm not sure how many answered, Um not sure the guidelines of the bids. Nobody was very forthcoming, so I'm not sure Jimmy, whether... Jimmy, that's your job. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I told Tracy during the break. I asked her, and she said, "Well, I don't know about the business." Time to foil you. Well, we're going to find out. Yeah, going to foil you that. But stuff. these are management companies that are supposedly professionals in managing. Correct. This. Correct. Um, the county one is using the one out of Chicago, DePaul, mm-hmm. and they are a management company. Um, yeah, it it's it, it was strange. So now let me get this straight. We've got management companies that run our prisons. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to have management companies that run our homeless shelters. Correct. Okay. Out of cities that are... That know have, nothing about our area. Not only that, but I can't really say they're successful where they are either. No, we we don't have that information either then. No. no. And uh, one thing Tracy and I were talking about is that the the rules will be made by the management companies. Correct. So, Going in, you know, the mayor has not set an expectation like on length of stay. The mayor has not set an expectation on the bids. Hey, we're looking at at three months, maximum length of stay or six months. This could be unlimited. He's going to leave that to the management company. The part about are these going to be co-ed as far as multiple genders on on the campuses – what Tracy had brought up, she told me to him in the conversation, is you could have a homeless mother with two or three kids, and they might be housed right next door to a severe addict. Mm-hmm. And so that pr- creates a problem. He didn't have any answers for that, did he? There's going to be a security guard. A security guard. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's that, how that's going to go. He, he assured you there was going to be safety. Correct. But Correct. he couldn't tell you how because he's leaving that to the management company. Yes, yes. Um, and anybody can, since we really don't have accurate data of how many homeless people are in the city currently, we can all take a guess. If this, if a ho- is, if a micro village houses 150, and let's say we have two of those for 150, so that's 300. I think we can all agree we have more than 300. Yes, I would yeah. definitely agree with that. And we have two different models approaching. Any, in my mind, the logical next step would be let's see which one works better, and we'll just build some more because we have more homeless to accommodate. So really, it's a litmus test, in my opinion, to see which one works. Is there, in these management companies, you've looked at the models in Seattle and Austin and other Mm -hmm. places, and part of this, are any of the rules of being able to stay there uh, deals that require you to go to rehabilitation for drug addiction? Some do. Some do, yes. Do you anticipate that? Did you see that in the Seattle model? Yeah. Or are they giving vending machines with crack pipes like they're doing in New York City? I mean, <laughs> um, no, Seattle Import, is yeah. a free-for-all. Yeah. So, and, but this is the model he wants to go after. Sis. Correct. Yes, yeah. he's towards several, apparently. And so there are no stipulations on the Seattle model to for you to be able to stay in one of these places. You have to. There's no things where you got to do A, B, C, and D as a requirement mm-hmm. to stay there. They're just saying, hey, you're homeless, so here you go. Pretty much. Wow. That's yes. And, and again, uh, another, another population of homeless is reentering. So were we talking, we're having a, an overcrowding of jails. So is that going to be part of the population? I don't know. You had also talked about 
there's a reality that, and David brought it up, that there's a reality that a lot of people that are homeless don't want Correct. To, to, to get a home. They like sleeping in the woods, I'm just telling you. And there is an income that they are making that's that's quite a bit. What What is that? Over three to $400 a day Yeah. yeah. in some cases. Yeah. Yeah, tax free. Multi- tax free. Tax free. Multiply that. <laughs> multiply that up about two thousand a week. That's not bad. We'll yeah. be back. We'll talk further about this. There's a lot of things, a lot of angles to be uh, discussed about. We'll get Dorcas to come on uh, from the Dorcas House and the Nehemiah House and uh, have her join up with Tracy here in the very near future. If there's somebody I want to talk about homelessness, if I want to talk about uh, you know battered women and things of that nature, it's Dorcas. She knows. She knows what's going on. And uh, are you ava- do you have a, a day available next week that you can come back in? Sure. All right. Wednesday? Sure. Let's go ahead and do that. Yeah. And I'll set up a time with you. And I'll, I'll get a hold of Dorcas right now and see if she'll come in as well. Because what we'll hear when you listen to what the Dorcas house does and the Nehemiah house does about homeless people and, and addicts, uh, and people who are down on their luck and things of that nature is totally different than what you'll hear from the progressive left. Progressive left, it's all about throwing money at stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not about you know being able to know <coughs> what you have achieved with the people that you're working with. And that is what they follow closely with the Dorcas House and Nehemiah House. They know on these people. Well, they have a goal. Anyway. They go to school while they're there they learn how to balance a checkbook and things of that nature uh the salvation army uh, you go over there and they've got their program and uh, they'll help you get a job they'll put you up for about a year and let you get on your feet and you got to be able to you know manage your money and things of that nature and uh, you get to save stay that during that year but if you start screwing up you're back out on the street again I think that's such an important point. And when your conversation, Tracy, with the mayor, did he even mention what the goal of this is for the outcome of people that are going to be coming there? The goal is to that they won't be homeless. The, the challenge I had a hard time understanding was if you don't have benchmarks and everybody's going to have a different starting point. If you're a mom with kids... If you are single and are in addiction, everybody's going to have a different point of reference. Sure. But there's no benchmarks. He he mentioned job training. He mentioned mental health being addressed. He mentioned nutrition, diet, dietary needs. But is it a requirement? He didn't say. Dave, what you're talking about with these other organizations, because you've been st- – I know Dave has been – Studying this for years. I have raised money for years for the Dorcas House. It seems like their goal is self-sufficiency, Yes, it is. Well, that's what what this is all about. Mm -hmm. Did the mayor mention anything about a goal of self-sufficiency? No. 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 No, of course not. Where do they want you? They want you on the plantation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's where they want you. They want you dependent on them. That's just the way the government works. We didn't even talk. He didn't even commit to this being a drug-free facility, did he? That, hey, we're going to make sure there are no drugs there. I asked about medication management. Um, 
Yes. He has no plan. Is what no, you're and, and it was in it and he said he didn't have a plan. He said he was working with community leaders that are I'm not sure he used the word experts that know about th- this and they meet monthly and um what when is the asked of I'm not <laughs> I think it's the catch meeting. Okay. I'm not I'm not quite sure. So we don't even know who's on this or No. Okay. No. It was when I asked about a business plan, there is none. They referred to whoever they hire from the bid to to run it. Well, here from this bid, what what what's the amount of money that they're hearing? Did he get into any of that? No, of course not. We're no. going to get into that though. Yeah, well, we got to. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna. We're going to sit, Dave and I are going to work on this, and we're going to submit freedom of information requests for the bids, the bidding process, who bid, and we'll see what companies. Do you know by chance who, you said DePaul is, uh, is that who's working, am I wrong, is that who's working with the county? The county. Okay. The county. So we know a little bit about DePaul. A little. Do you know who has been running the programs in Seattle? There, it's a city it's the, a city organization. So the city's doing it. They're not mm-hmm. They're not outsourcing it the way Frank is. Correct. I'm just going to say, did you get the impression from the speaking with the mayor that that this isn't something he's focused on other than to say that, hey, I built some homeless facilities? And His response was, we have a homeless situation, and this is how we're going to address it. Again... My question to him was, if I go, if I have an illness and I have to have surgery, the first thing everybody does is check my insurance. And does my insurance approve the surgery? And you're, they are going to tell me how long I'm authorized that they will pay for me to be in the hospital. I kind of equate that, that, this to that. Right. There's no, there's no plan. And... So conceivably, one homeless person could live in this facility for the next 20 years. Possibly. They don't know. Yeah, they, they don't, don't know. know. They don't know. Yeah. But, but again, we, we keep like seeing real, the same like, pattern of throwing good money after bad. That's exactly yeah. what that sounds like. I mean, if you don't have a plan and a business model, you're just kind of out there. The tail's wagging the dog, but you don't have benchmarks. You don't have goals. I mean, how can you say something's successful if you don't have benchmarks? It's you're following you're you're following a failing model. So if let me see if I get this straight from your conversation with him, he's saying, "Hey, we're going to do this, but I really don't know how it's going to be run. I'm just going to let the management company take care of all that out Correct. of sight, out of mind." As Correct. far as and but I do get a I do get a opportunity to have a headline with a shovel and hard hat where I'm breaking ground on facility in, on Roosevelt. Maybe. Okay. (laughs) And it's very interesting also, um, there are no stipulations to where these can pop up. Um, And, again, in my mind, um, if you apply for a dispensary license, they had rules and regulations of a certain distance from a church and a school. Right. You're right. These have none of those stipulations. 
that we know of yet. That I mean, maybe of. maybe they have maybe the stipulations later. He has in the no, group. He has no plan. He it sounds like he's just has no plan for this. Correct. That's that's what's. Yes. Yeah. He knows it's a problem. Okay. He mm-hmm. knows it's a problem. Most elected officials know this is a problem. But well, when you invite him, yeah, you, you kind of know he's coming to the party. That's correct. Yeah. You know, you don't. And but if you're if you're saying, well, we kind of like this group over the other groups. Why? Yeah, that's and right. And that he can't answer that. No, now, that's a problem. That that you, you then you don't have. You're not in control of knowing all the facts on the decisions you're going to make. And I agree with you. I have grace. I work in mental health. Yeah. I, I have grace. We want to help them. Sure. We do. But when you don't, from the front end, discuss the the problems we have or the lack of support in the infrastructure, you're not helping anybody. And I'll tell you something else. You're not helping anybody when people squat on your land and they destroy the environs and then they come and they come to the people where they're squatting at. And charge them with fines. Yes. That's what happened to Tracy. Yes, for a couple of years, a couple of times a year, I would uh, get a notice from the city. And every single time I had to hire a dumpster, clean up mattresses, tents, homemade toilets, feces, food. How much was it costing you? Roughly $7,000 a year. That's what I'm talking about. And the the city gives no help. And I'm not picking on LRPD because it's really not their fault. No, it's not. But when you have contacted LRPD and said, hey, there's people trespassing on my Mm -hmm. land. They're setting up tents. We've told them to leave. Mm -hmm. Can't do anything. What does LRPD tell you? Two years ago, they would follow a uh, police report. Progressing forward, they have no recourse. I have been told that all they have to say is they were invited. And even if you're the landowner. Correct. So you can't even ask, hey, will you issue them a trespass order or trespass? No, all I can do is post the signs, private property, do not trespass, which I've done, taken pictures, send it back to the city. And, again, the, the local city level has been phenomenal working with me. Mm-hmm. They recognize the problem. They said there are camps that people aren't even aware of across the city. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And they, they are very concerned. The code enforcement actually cited you, right? Yes. Wow. That's just... No, I'm just saying. Yep. That's what that, that's the <laughs> yep, problem. Yeah, had to go to court. Yeah, they're not going to pay to clean it up. Are you kidding me? No. That's a, I mean, I guess they do when you go to the one that's over here on on uh, University and uh, in 430 over by, what is that called, Four Seasons or mo- the motel mm-hmm. over there what, across the street in, in Fourth. They clear them out, and then they come back. Mm-hmm. It's simple. There's a there's a filling station now that is empty. Uh, it's up here on uh, uh, what was that Father Taibu? Father Taibu, yeah, right over road, here, right yeah. there on and Markham. <clears throat> yeah, right here. And the guy, they broke down the the gate. They moved in a double. I mean, it's a king size. Well, it's gone now. King size mattress. <laughs> they hung up stuff to make yeah. walls and yeah. all, and they were living there. Right. You know, there are about, I guess, look to be about six or eight homeless I'm folks. I'm actually working with Tracy to locate private landowners where these camps are at, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go to those camps with my cameras, and I'm going to talk to these homeless people and say, hey, why do you think you can overtake somebody's private property and no, just it's America. set up? Yeah. 
supposed to take care of me. You yeah. Know, <laughs> again, it's after the horrible tornado that we had. Oh, my. Yes. What about those homeless? Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. We'll come back. We'll finish up our conversation here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget that uh, the year is about half done now. And uh, if you're still dealing with your knee or hip uh, pain, enough is enough. You want to be able to do the stuff you want to do during the summertime when you can get out. I know it's hot, but better hot than cold. That's just, that's my my uh, my philosophy on this. But pills aren't the answer. Surgery many times is not the answer. What you need to do is call uh, QC Kinetics, the advanced uh, regenerative medicine solutions that they have at QC Kinetics can give you a life without chronic joint pain. You can do all those summer activities you used to enjoy. Like, how would you like to get out and play another 18 of of golf? But your back hurts you so bad you can't do anything? You need to talk to QC Kinetics about that. QC Kinetics is the uh, national leader in taking healing properties from your own body and applying them right into your achy joints so that your joint tissue can be repaired and restored naturally. This treatment is really, truly revolutionary. It's become so revolutionary that it, they're not just doing it on adults anymore. You've seen the ads on, on television now about how they can help your dogs and your cats with their joints. Uh, that came out of a lot of this type of uh, medicine that they do. Patients across America are having life-changing results. So if you've got pain in your knees, your back, your shoulders, your hips, you need to stop whatever you're doing, call QC Kinetics now for a free consultation and learn how the latest advances in regenerative medicine can give you your life back. 501-222-8440. That's 501-222-8440. All right, back. Last segment. we got... Uh, about six minutes remaining here with Tracy, and we're talking about homelessness. I mean, there's a lot of questions. I hear the mayor saying, I got some ideas, but there's not fully fleshed out. In <laughs> To say that, that's being nice, all right? He, he really doesn't have very many answers at all about this other than he says, yeah, we got to do something about it. I mean, that's basically his answer is what I'm hearing. And you told me that the city council member... Kathy Webb, yes, she's she's concerned about this as well. Absolutely, and then she has a, a completely different way she wants to do it. He he wants to do the Seattle model. She wants to do the Austin model. Correct. And Lance Hines wants to do the Austin model. Yes. Well, yes. I'll tell them the best way to do it: just buy a bunch of tents and <laughs> and, and put them underneath the overpasses. Yeah, I, know. I mean, I, I've been to Austin. I can tell you what it's like. Have you guys been there, Kathy? Lance, have you gone there to look at it? As soon as Tracy said that, well, Pulaski County's doing the Austin model, but Frank wants to do the Seattle, and he said, Kathy and Lance support the Austin model. I'm going, have you read anything in the news about Austin? Just the news reports should be well, enough to Well, to be go. fair, they, they recognize that it's not a perfect solution. They recognize that. But, again, is a bad solution still a solution well it's it's, uh, not, it's not, even not bad sure. it's a terrible solution yeah. um, well, i don't even classify it as a solution <laughs> there you go that's well, probably the best way to look yeah. at it and nobody can really and again it's it's going to be subjective nobody's able to give me a definition of what they call homeless what did you, you Boy, said that's, that's break, probably yeah. the best thing yeah. when 
when I ask you what is a homeless person, what's your definition? Somebody falling on hard times that doesn't have shelter. Okay. There you go. That's my definition. Yeah. But you, nobody, nobody. But you asked the mayor definitely. You uh, tell the folks during the break. You tell us. You asked the mayor. What did you ask him? The length of stay. Yeah. What population are you serving? Age requirements. If you are, if you are focusing or addiction, chronically mentally ill. What does that look like? Are you offering detox? If so, detox is. What and kind acute, of detox? What kind of detox? And detox would be crisis stabilization for an addict. Mm-hmm. What does the recovery look like? Did he have any answer for no. any of those questions? No. When you asked him to define a homeless person, what did he say? This crickets. Crickets. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he so. What I'm getting is in your conversation with him. Did you come away? I'm not putting words in your mouth. But did you come away that he has no clue about homeless issues? He actually wanted my list of questions. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a positive, I guess. No, it is. And and you know what? Thank you. But shouldn't I'm just a little disappointed that that a mayor's administration wasn't coming up with these questions. Well, that was my question. I work in mental health. So some of these, to me, may be easier for me to understand or think of. But they said they work with community partners. Why? I don't understand. It seems to me this is just going to be a disaster taxpayer expense. Well, it can be. (laughs) If they jump into it and don't have a lot of the answers that we're having Tracy bring up, it will be a disaster because it's going to be flushing money down a black hole. Mm -hmm. Did they ask you to kind of come in and work with them on this after you met with them and proposed these questions did they let they, you say, they did okay good they did good um they meet every month um and again they so did they invite fair. you to be yes. part of those meetings? good yes well that's a good thing it is it is and i'm looking forward to working with them i'm looking forward to learning more I'm not. I'm no expert. They won't like you. You ask questions. <laughs> yeah. well, no. The line forms to the left. <laughs> so um, take a number. Um, but I'm, I, it's got to be a team approach. And the the point A and what was just hit on was if you don't have a business plan. How can you run anything? Here's what I like about you. When we first, when when I, when Dallas got me in contact with you, mm-hmm. it became clear to me there are two types of people. There are people that get frustrated and throw their hands up and walk away, which is what liberal administration liberals count on. And then there are people who get frustrated and go, no, I'm going to dig in and I'm going to fight. I'm going to try to make this better. Mm-hmm. You're that person. Thank you. And uh, so we need people like Tracy out there. <laughs> yep. Hang oh, in. She'll you. be back on yeah. the show next week. She's coming back next Wednesday. I'm trying to get some people, other people to come into the station and talk about this as well, who have been working this for a long time. Dorcas House is and ba- runs amazing programs. And they've been banging their heads against the wall a lot of times. Right. Mm-hmm. So we'll, the ARC is a perfect example of mm-hmm. that. You know, I haven't heard about them here recently. I don't even know after COVID if they still have a place in, amongst the homeless population now. At least the van comes to mind. Yeah. I mean, that is the population they serve. 
Yeah, they go out and feed people. Right. right. And I remember when Stodel would tell me, you can't do that. And then he said, yeah, we're going to do it. Right. Yeah. Because that's a ministry be, as well. Yeah. Right. Again, there's a more so an addiction is where faith-based comes in than the broader umbrella, umbrella of mental yeah. health. Yeah, yeah, but when we try to, to get them involved, the faith-based organizations, and yeah. get the uh, government to work with them, I don't want to work no. with them. No, there's a separation reason. of church and state. <laughs> separation of church and state. Your state ain't working. All right, yeah. ours is. Why don't you try a little bit of our yeah. idea about this? Anyway, yeah. we'll talk about that next Wednesday. How's that sound, Tracy? Perfect. Yeah. We'll do it. We appreciate you coming in. We're out of time. Thank you. Take a- all right, time to go back to the phone. Made a phone call over to the North Little Rock Police Department. In fact. They called us because, Jimmy, you asked the uh, the chief of police to call, correct? Yeah, yeah. I want to get Chief on. He, he, chief Texan's a really good guy. Got a lot of positive things going on over at North Rock Police Department, and he's doing a great job. The department's doing a great job. The officers are. And they're really a uh, – we hear so much about negative on policing, but there's really positive story going on at North Little Rock. Okay, so let's bring him on and say, hey, Chief, how are you? Welcome to the show. Good morning. Can you all hear me? Uh, we hear you just fine. Right. I hear you just fine, and I'm glad to hear you. And talk about what's happening in North Little Rock. What is it that you're doing over there that's, uh, that's working so well? Well, it's uh, it's not me. I'll tell you that first off. It's uh, It's all the guys and gals that we have working over here you know we have an amazing group of people that love the community love getting out doing what they do so i give all the credit to them um you know we're working shorthanded just like everybody else but they're still out there working a lot of hours working a lot of overtime and uh they're still getting after it and uh you know trying to trying to make the city a safer place so i'm pretty proud of them well rightly so definitely rightly so to do that if you had other police chiefs that came and talked to you, Chief, and they said, what, what is it that's making all of this work for you, what would you tell them? Uh, I would tell them, listen to your people. Um, you know, the, the, the officers that are out there doing things every day, you, you know, they have a little bit of different insight than what I do. You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, out of sight sometimes but they uh they have the ideas they know what works they know what doesn't work and uh that's you know such a wealth of information for me making decisions and stuff so that would be the one thing that i would tell anybody is is listen to your people and uh you know give them give them the uh the chance to get out there and uh, you know put these ideas to work Chief, uh, talking to a lot of the officers at North Little Rock, they all seem very upbeat, the ones I talk to. Morale is really high. And the one thing that I keep hearing is is the difference is in so many other departments, I'm not going to talk bad about other departments, but those officers feel like they can't do their job. At North Little Rock, what you guys and gals are telling me is, hey, they let us do our job here, and, uh, and they yeah, don't get in the way of us doing our job. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I mean. But you know, letting these uh, these officers that come up with these ideas and get out there and and you know do what they do best and and you know 
I, I try to maximize everybody's talents. You know, not everybody's good at at doing traffic stops, but there's some that are really good at doing traffic stops. So, you know, just kind of give them the freedom uh, to get out there and uh, do what they do best and, and work their ideas. And it, 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 it creates a really cool synergy uh, within the department. And, um, you know, I think them having the freedom to be able to, to, to do this stuff, sometimes they fail, but, you know, it's like your kids. You, you got to let them fail sometimes, but they just pick back up and, and keep going. So I think that's that's really important. Chief, we've had uh, the uh, Little Rock Police Chief on. I've had uh, several of the black pastors on, and we've talked about uh, the, the problem of violence with young people uh, today. How are you addressing that over in North Little Rock? Well, you know, that's been one of our biggest problems over the past couple of years. And, you know, that's kind of been the trend across the country. And I don't, you know, I don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, some of these kids, you know, there's 17, 16, 18 in there in that range. And it, it's almost like, you know, they, they've lived this lifestyle for a long time. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't really know how to address that and solve it specifically but we just get out in the community especially like with sros and all that talking to these kids and and, and you know trying to find ways to reach them you know um, i've met with a lot of pastors uh, and you know one in particular that's really challenged a lot of these pastors to get out from behind the pulpit and start talking to people getting out in the neighborhoods and, and you know that's something that we can do too we're out there anyway so you know, just taking the opportunity to talk to kids one-on-one, -on -one, even if you just turn one from that violent lifestyle, you know, you've been successful. So it's a, it's a grassroots campaign, so to speak, and, and that's kind of what we're working on. But it's going to take some time. With the whole defund the police movement, with the whole, you know, basically people talking, you know, saying such negative things about police in America, Number one, I'm I'm amazed that you guys can get the people that want to work as police officers now. Uh, but number two, this has got to be having an effect on young people as well. Oh yeah, recruiting has has definitely become a challenge, and and I'm sure uh, Chief Helton said something about that. I yep. know you know mm -hmm. he's a lot shorter than I am, uh, uh, personnel wise, or we are. But uh, yeah, you you know. We hear a lot of the negativity, but most of the, the people that get into this business, they do it for a reason, and it's for, you know, reasons that are kind of bigger than themselves. And, you know, there's always going to be naysayers. That's just, that's just part of life. But, you know, here we choose to keep doing what we're doing and try to be positive and try to impact the community in a positive way. And, uh, you know, getting young people to apply it, it's it's a challenge but you know I, one of our biggest recruiting tools is our officers and their interactions with people every day and so i'm starting to see the trend pick back up in our applications that are we're getting a few more younger people each time and, and so i think we're turning it around it'll like i said with uh, fixing the juvenile issue um it, it's going to take a little time but i i think we're on the uptick but no matter the negativity, we're going to keep doing what we do because, you know, um, we, we took this job because we want to serve. We want to help people. We want to 
you know, be part of something bigger than us. And uh, so we're, we're just going to keep on keep on doing what we do. Chief, you said something that that really stuck with me and, and I think speaks volumes uh, about your leadership style. When you said that your officers are your best recruiters, and that especially applies into patrol. You guys in North Little Rock are set up in four different zones, and one thing that I've always been impressed with is that you try to really saturate patrol officers in those zones. Is that how they build those rapports in the community? Is that is that how the it helps with the recruiting end? Oh yeah, absolutely, and and not just that, but uh, you know when these guys go to church, when these guys work or and gals work off duty jobs at baseball games, churches, whatever they. They have a chance to talk to people one on one in in a, an environment that's a little bit different than when they're at work, and so there's so many opportunities uh, for for them to just kind of you know show the department, talk about the department to, to other people, and they kind of recognize who they think might be good at the job or who might want to, and and uh, you know they just have that attitude, and people approach and want to talk about it. Um, they're just open and and you know they share their experiences and and uh, you know they're that's that's the most valuable thing as far as getting people to to want to step into this job. It's that word of mouth from the people that work here. I, I think you know you can't do any better than that. You, you have a really good school resource officer program, and people need to understand that your officers don't. It's they th- a lot of people think that the officers are under the school district's uh, command or they work for the school district, and that's not true. They The officers work for the Norwalk Police Department under the city control, but you guys have put together a really good school resource officer uh, program over there that is not just designed to protect the schools but designed to intermingle with the kids, Right. Yeah, and in fact, we're we're working on stuff to make it a, a lot better because you know the the role of the school resource officers kind of changed a little bit, you know, in light of the society we live in today, and so you know they almost have to be the the tip of the spear kind of guys, you know, if, if something were to happen. But the flip side of that is, um, you know, they have a lot of access to the kids, obviously, and so getting them involved and and we want to have them start teaching classes and and all that kind of stuff and um, I work real close with Dr. Paluski over there and um, you know his head of security which was a retired assistant chief Finks from Little Rock they have just made amazing strides over there at securing the schools and you know kudos to the school board and stuff they're taking all this school security you know very serious and and uh, they've implemented a lot of uh, strategies to make schools safer and so you know us getting to be a part of that and you know us getting to talk to the kids and let them see police officers as as you know real people and and having access to them and all that i think it's invaluable so we're going to keep expanding on that program you know hopefully we can hire a lot more people so we can uh, move some more over there but yeah that's kind of a priority for me because you know there's nothing more important than, than taking care of these kids and uh they need to be able to go to school and 
have a good place to learn and, and all that without having to worry. And, you know, the, the SROs, you're right, are all ours. Um, you know, we have a supervisor that works over there with them. So everything's under our control, but, you know, we, we work side by side with, with uh, Dr. Paluski and his staff. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, we got it pretty good, and we're, we're going to make it better. All right, 18 minutes after 9, time for our first break. If uh, you'll just hang around for a few moments, we'll have you back on, Chief. We'll finish up with you at about 9.30, if that's okay, and we appreciate your time today on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Don't forget about PI Roofing. PI Roofing are your roof leak detectives. If you need your roof worked on, and really over on the west side of Little Rock, who doesn't? Uh, And in the southwest side of uh, uh, Cabot, who doesn't? Uh, they'll be happy to come out, look at your roof, probably put a blue tarp on it. You'll become part of the blue tarp uh, regiment out there. Uh, but they'll keep water from getting into your home when it rains and things of that nature so that uh, you don't get more damage from the damage that you already had uh, from uh, the uh, tornadoes. So they'll be happy to take good care of that, put you in line, and you just got to wait until everybody's taken care of to get to you. I mean, it's uh, everybody waits their turn. But they'll do a good job. I know that for a fact. They've done my roof. They did it when I first bought the house that needed a new roof, and they did that. And then uh, I got uh, them to come out after a hailstorm and replace my old roof uh, after 21 years and put a new roof on. Nobody walks on my roof to work on it except for PI Roofing. They also are a general contractor. That means they can do other jobs around your house that you might need, like you need some work done on your deck and or fence and things of that nature. They can do all of that for you. All you have to do is give them a call. You call them at 501-707-3115. That's 501-707-3115, and they'll set up a time to come out and look at the job that you want them to do. Or just visit them on the Internet, piroofing.com. All right, let's continue on. We're talking with the chief of police over in North Little Rock. Jimmy, had another question? Yeah, chief, uh, officer safety is paramount with you. I mean, that's constantly on your mind. And I know you try to do the training and everything you can. Uh, and I know every day you worry about your officers. But there's another component that most people in the public really don't think enough about, and that's the the mental stress that officers have and the reality of what they seek. Uh, they don't people in public don't understand. They may answer a call where a child has just died, and when they're done, they have to check back in service. There's no time to decompress. So I know that's a worry. Tell me what you're doing at the department to. To help the folks with uh, with the with the mental stress they deal with. Yeah, you're right. You know, we uh, we see a lot of things in this job that most people never see in their lifetime, and you know, we have to carry that through our whole career. And and you know, years ago it was kind of taboo to talk about it. You were just expected to to deal with it and carry yep. on because you know you got to be a tough guy, but. So we're very fortunate. We're one of probably 20 agencies in the country that actually have a doctor on staff, Dr. Buster Lackey. Um, 
who is heading up uh, he's our wellness program. You know, we started a wellness program last year, and Dr. Lackey has, has come in, and uh, he's volunteered with us for a while with the crisis negotiations, that kind of stuff. But he's really revamping the wellness, and he's really put in a lot of effort. So to get to know the officers so our officers can just go to him and and after a call they can talk to him and you know we we mandate counseling after some of these uh these incidents such as you know a deceased child and that kind of stuff and and so having dr lackey here has just been phenomenal and you know he helps out little rock has a very good wellness program um i know there are people over there and and they are phenomenal with what they're doing and and you know, Dr. Lackey talks with them, and and uh, you know, he's reached out to a lot of other agencies to help out too. So we're really, you know, focusing on keeping our people healthy, especially since we're so short. But you know, just for the long term, so that they can have a career and then retire, and you know, kind of have dealt with that stuff along the way. So this doesn't, you know, it's not something that comes up later on. Um, but, and you know everybody's different. Some people cope with it really well, and some people don't. Mm-hmm. So we just keep a close eye on that. And when we see people having trouble, then you know we step in. And and you know there's no shame in that anymore, kind of in the profession. So um, it's been a good thing. And Dr. Lackey is just—I can't say enough good things about him. He's he's awesome. He's a former police officer. He you know he knows the job. Uh, he knows people and. Uh, you know, having him here is is uh, uh, a real. It's an amazing blessing for us. Now he's a great guy. He does a uh, weekly show with his wife Crystal here on oh, yeah. 101 on uh, on Saturdays. They do a great job, and they're on my show uh, from time to time. I'm going to have to bring him on since I know that now that he's handling uh, the work with the police department. I'll just. Pick, I'm a big Bones fan. I like to watch the show Bones. Yeah. I'm going to start calling him Sweet. Sounds fun. <laughs> I think we'll do. There you go. I think we'll do that. We'll start calling him Sweets on the air. That'll be good. All right. So, you know, is that is that the way that your officers feel about this? I mean, I know when I was in the military and you had to go see, you know, people because of uh, situations that you went through when people were shooting at you and you were shooting at them and you saw people die and things of that nature. Uh, it made you nervous because... If they said something like PTSD or something like that, you wondered if that was going to take you out of, uh, you know, the, uh, what's the best way to put this, that you weren't going to have a hard time being promoted. Right, right. Yeah, it's, you know, for us, having that stigma of I need to go see a doctor because I mm-hmm. couldn't handle something, and that that's kind of what it was. And, you know, I've really pushed it that it's okay. You know, if, if you need to talk to somebody, it's okay. And and we've all, our wellness unit, that's what they do. And, and you know, we've kind of trained our supervisors and other and officers to kind of keep an eye on each other. And if, you know, you see somebody that's having trouble or, or you know, they're just not performing right, then, you know, let's, let's talk about it. Because you don't want, you know, an officer that's have, struggling to deal with something out there in, you know, making a traffic stop and it, it, and something just snap, you know, that you, you don't want that to happen. And, and that's kind of extreme, but, um, you know, you want to make sure that they're taken care of so they can be, you know, good, productive 
uh, officers that uh, you know they're they're taking time off they're they're good with their family that kind of stuff because you know we we have to take this home with us and uh, so we just we just want to make sure they're taken care of because you know without them this place shuts down so uh, we we got to make sure they're good all right Chief, we thank you for the the 30 minutes to sit here and talk a little bit. We'll have you on again in the near future, and uh, we'll uh, let you talk about things that are going on in the department. We want that uh, transparency for you to get on and talk to people, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, get you and the uh, North, uh, the Little Rock Police uh, Chief on, and people can call in and ask you questions about why you do the things that you do. I think that's part of the problem. People just don't understand. Yes, yes, and that's that's one thing we're we're trying to do is uh, that's one of my plans is have some you know open forums so people come and ask these questions and and you know we don't have anything to hide so I think it would be helpful if people knew what we did and why we did it. So. Well, we'll let you be on and you can tell them we appreciate your time. You have a great day. Yes, we will talk to you in the near future. And this this <laughs> this old GOP uh, Republican primary is getting out of hand quickly as well. Pence announced that he's running for president yeah. yesterday. So Christie uh, the day before, right? And Christie said that he's running as well. So let, let's just kind of count this down. we got VTAC. He's in there. Mm-hmm. we got Nikki Haley. We've got uh, Scott. We've got Pence. We have uh, Christie. Christie. We've got the former governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson. Yeah. We've got uh, also uh, in there, we've got DeSantis, and we've got Trump mm-hmm. that have been, who have announced now. Now, Sununu, he decided not to run. That is eight people right now. And that's right now. Yeah, that's right now. There may be a few more still to jump in. I don't know how big of their chances it's going to be, but the first debate now. For the Republican nomination is August 23rd. Right. That's less than 12 weeks away. It's coming, and it's shaping up to be like the first time Trump ran. Uh, kind of. Yeah, as far as so many people. Yeah, so many people. I will say that there's a lot of, uh, I think that the the crop is better this time around than it was the first time. Oh, I I agree a hundred percent. The the last time there really was Jeb Bush was the top competition, yeah. which was no competition. And I want you to understand something. Jeb Bush had done quite a bit. Yeah. Uh in in Florida and everybody was uh, amazed by what he had, had been able to do and it was it was much bluer mm-hmm. at that time and he was he had moved it into I would say a hot pink. <laughs> but they but the air went out of that balloon quickly. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think that uh, former President Trump identified him as the number one challenger because yeah. he was leading the way going into those debates. This time, it's different. Trump is the leader going into this uh, this series. So uh, with, stiffer co- with stiffer competition. Yeah, and it changes the whole complexity yeah. of, of uh, running this time than it did the other being the dark horse i always feel is the better place to be i you want when you go in when you go into the the turns you want to be about third second or third something like that to where you can come on with that sprint and then be able to kick it at the end and uh when you look at the competition this time around you have 
DeSantis, which to me is clearly the, it's Trump and DeSantis right now. Yeah. Okay. Of course, everything's early. And by numbers, Trump is ahead considerably. Considerably. But you have, you know, once once you really get into it, and we get to those debates, that's where it's going to get interesting because you have a very polished Nikki Haley, mm-hmm. who should stand her ground good in the debates. Got uh, Scott. Scott, who's just right now on fire, and, and his uh, his name is spreading across the nation quickly. I'm going to tell you what that whole thing that happened on the View was huge for him. He should really send Joey Bear, Joey Bear a thank you note. Because, <laughs> and I mean, the 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 ludicrous the ludicrous way they were talking, Joey Bear and who didn't even well Sonny. I mean, listen to yeah. Sonny. He started saying he's well 114 years and all that, and then he started saying, yeah, but we got my my police chief. He's he's going to run for mayor. You got hundreds of black police chiefs all over the United States. I mean, he just laid it all out there. Sonny, and of course, Joe Bear was wasn't on there. I'm told that her days off. From, I don't watch the View, but I'm told Monday she's not there. Him, but they knew when to schedule Scott for her not to be there. I guess that, that's true. That, but so Sonny was going to be the one to go at him. Yep. Okay. Well, that was an epic fail. Well, she got schooled. She got big time schooled. And I like it that he schooled her on all that because he, I like what he said when she says, "Then you think uh, the country's reached, you know, the the potential for black people?" He said, "No, no, because that's not the way our country works. Right, right. You know, we're always working towards a more perfect union. He he did such a great job of explaining." conservatism and conservative thought at that point then i was really impressed he was extremely prepared for whatever they threw at him and it just they could not have teed it up any better for him than what they did and when they teed it up he knocked he knocked it out of the park yeah because when he came on they thought we're just going to treat him like we've treated everybody else you know the way you know justice thomas or uh, talking uh, Condi Rice or somebody else. I mean, you know, these are people that are great conservatives, and uh, they're looked at the left, and they don't have any problem calling, you know, uh, uh, Chief, uh, not Chief Justice, but Justice Thomas, uh, you know, a, a, a house in and uh, things of that yeah. nature, calling Condoleezza Rice, referring to her as Aunt Jemima. You know, look, if if somebody from the right had said something like that about Barack Obama, oh, my Lord. Yeah, the mainstream media would have They would have went. The view would have crucified Yeah. You know, the thing that I think that you had brought up in, in was that I brought up in the past and, and people have brought up and, and Tim Scott brought up is I'm a white guy. So... You are? Yeah, that's what I'm told. You sure? Yeah, I get told that daily. Okay, I'm glad that yeah. you're for sure about People that. remind me daily that I'm a white guy. And But if if somebody, uh, Hispanic or Asian descent or, or, or black, tries to tell me how to be white, I'm going, you can't do that. That's why I thought it was so crazy, and Tim Scott brought it up, and we've talked about it, is how can you look at a guy, how can you, how can... 
Joey Bear, or let's just say me, look at somebody who's black and say, you know, I can tell you how to be black. You're not being black. Let me tell you how to be black. No. Especially if you're a comedian and uh, a few years ago you appeared in blackface and you're going to tell a black person how to be a black person. That's like Dylan McVaney trying to tell you ladies how to be a woman and he's a man. A great analogy, Dave. A great analogy. It's just that's absurd. And in, in the pompous attitude they have in doing it, right? Oh, you don't know how to be black. No, 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 no. Hold on. No, let me educate you on how to be black. Well, that's that's absurd. That's absurd. But going back going back to the race, I, this is one thing that does frustrate me and frustrates other people is you clearly have people that are entering the race that they know – they're not going to win the race. They're not even entering to win the race. You can't tell me Asa Hutchinson believes he can be president of the United States. That can't be the reason he's entering. Well, he might think he can be, but um, it's just like I told. We had somebody call. Was that Monday that they called us, us up on the, the show, the, the, the lady who said that she she wanted to announce that she's going to run for president for GOP? I heard a little bit of that. Yeah, and <laughs> I and, and I said, well, what makes you think that you can be – well, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, anybody can be president, basically. Sure. It's a possibility, and that's when I told her it might be a possibility, but highly improbable. Yeah, I mean, everything's possible. Yeah. There's nothing that's let's, let's impossible. Just, let's just say that I'm, you know, I, I, I live in reality, so I'm not starting my campaign tomorrow. I'm not announcing I'm running for president tomorrow. Okay, well, that's a good thing because then I'd be asking for some mental health work for you. Yeah, no kidding. I'd, but, I'd give, but, give but, a call to, to my friends that are on the weekend here. Yeah, but like Chris Christie, he... He knows good and well he's not going to be the president of the United States. No. What's the purpose of running? And I think that's what people people kind of get frustrated because it, there's just a lot of a lot of clutter. Let's get down to the real contenders. But uh, he'll be done in the first week. Yeah. So my question to people like that is, why are you running? What are you? What's your end game there? Are you looking to gain influence in this area? Are you looking for uh, an appointment by the next president? I mean, why well, are you Christie's doing this? not even going. Look, Christie is not even going to be vice president no. material. No, I don't think that any of the people who might end up really carrying the banner are going to uh, look at him as being cabinet level material. No, and 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 I'm not picking on Asa, but the same way. Why are you in this? What is your end goal? Because you know you're not. You have no chance. But you're creating clutter. What's the point? And I think people try to position themselves for power and for appointments in different areas, right? Well, I think that Asa needs to go back and continue to be a lawyer. Yeah. That's that's where, you know, he came from. Why not go back and be a lawyer some more? Yeah. You, still, you want to be involved in politics? Be involved with the committee up there in northwest Arkansas. Yeah, go get on the board of Walmart because that's your buddies. Yeah. And I mean, but Mike Pence, Mike Pence getting in. Well, I I truly like Mike Pence, okay, and but I just don't see it. Well, I don't see that. Look, I know Mike probably better than anybody who's listening on the radio right now because I work side by side with him in Indianapolis. Yeah. I know Mike very well, and uh, I agree with you. I don't think he has a chance, uh, really, of of pulling enough people in. 
uh, to to run for president. Yeah. If I had to name, I can name four people that I really I think have the chance: the former president, DeSantis, Scott, Haley. Those are my. Four. Those are the four that I would think have a shot at doing it. Why? Do, and I I'm telling you, don't discount Scott. I would not discount Scott one bit because his popularity. He's younger, he's he's uh, he's black, uh, he's sharp as a tag. Yes, he, he is. He proved that. <laughs> yeah. time, and, he, and he doesn't want to be president just because he's black. No, no. He, if you, when you listen to him, you can you can always tell the the snake oil salesman or some people can't. But when I listen, to him, I can tell the difference between a snake on snake oil salesman. And somebody who's sincere in their beliefs. Oh, yeah. Tim Scott really oh, he, is, he believes. Yeah. He believes in America. Yeah. And, I uh, mean, all you got to do is listen to him, and he'll explain to you that he believes in America. He's got a great message, and, and this is what he needs to lead, lead with is that message. He needs to lead, lead with that energy. Okay, and it's getting him to recognition. But by the time we get to debates, now we got to get down to policy. Yep. And we'll see what what he says on policy. We the one thing Trump has going for him, if he'll stay with it, if he won't get in a food fight with anybody else, is we've seen his policies. His policies work. Okay, if he will tout his policies and say, "Look what I did. This when I took office, we went from here to here, here to here, here to here." Yeah. And and do that if he doesn't get in a food fight, it's. It's hard to beat his track record on policy. I don't disagree with that, and that's where his strong point is going into this election cycle. And he needs to stay in that lane. If he will, yeah. he'll not have any problem with anybody that's on stage. I'll I, be honest with you. I agree. You. Not even DeSantis. Yeah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. All right, let's take a break, uh, and uh, then we'll come back and finish up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You know, you ever thought... Why do I pay a car payment or a partial house payment over time from my health plan and I hardly even or never use my health plan? Think about that for a moment. That's how much money you're paying yearly is you're paying like house payments and car payments. You're tired of co-pays, deductibles. Uh, would you like to save 30 to 50 percent on your health premiums and then get paid to go to a doctor instead of having to pay a copay? Well, if that's if all of that sounds good to you and you were, you know, kind of say, yeah, I, I am tired of paying those co-pays and deductibles, then you need to talk to Pat D- Davis and his healthplanman.com team. They'll take good care of you about it. Your health plan man's clients uh, often get checks and have no money out of their pocket. Like I did, you may be thinking this is just too good to tr- be true. But it just makes sense. Big-name insurance companies charge you inflated prices, and then middlemen keep money that should go to you. Your insurance plan is billed $100,000 for a pacemaker when it could be purchased for $10,000 cash. Why let middlemen have your money? Take back control of your health care decisions. Take it back. You know, just, just make your statement. You know? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. And go out and take control. You can do that. You can. 
Pat has just in the past few months found new plans for groups that have low deductibles, low co-pays, and little out-of-pocket expenses. He can now save businesses tens of thousands of dollars with his plans. Call or text 1-501-605-6935. That's 1-501-605-6935. Or jump on your health plan man, one word, your health plan man, is huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-hoo! That's right. It's hump day, middle of the week day, over the hill day. I love that. I'm glad you brought that back because I closer. can't get enough of that doggone camel. We're clo- yeah, we're <laughs> closer to Friday than we were on Monday, and that's always a good thing. So keep you, keep that in mind. And uh, we got a great uh, last hour for you today. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. A lot. A lot. I mean, when you joined on the show today, I bet you most of you didn't know they were flying the gay pride parade, uh, a flag in front of the VA. Bet you didn't know that. Well, both of our congressmen did, and they're raising literal hell. Boy, Westerman it. especially. Oh, he he is, is not happy. Yeah, yeah he, called, he called the director of the VA the federal director of the VA, and asked, who said that people can do this? Call the secretary, yeah. Yeah, and the secretary said, well, I told him that. He said, what gave you the right? And he was, uh, all of a sudden, he, saw, he sounded like a, a boat tied up at the, you know, at the, the pier. But, 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 yeah. you know, that's what, that's what he sounded yeah. like. It was was pretty good listening to that. Yeah, Westman was ready, th- ready to put the gloves on. Yeah, he's he ready, was to ready to throw down. fire him yeah, at that he, moment. He's ready to throw down. And then take care of that. So anyway. Speaking of two people who like to throw down. Okay. Bring him on. <laughs> let's, let's hear. We, we, got, we got Karen Maynard and, and Rebecca Davis. And if you don't know, Karen is, what are you not the chairman of? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of stuff. But I'm the president of North Pulaski Republican Women. And, uh, and of course, That's we cool. got Rebecca, who's on the Corn Court uh-huh. and is also a proud member of Moms for Liberty. Vice President. There you go. All right. And, She's uh, my partner in crime. Now, yeah. wait a second. Does, you're the, the vice president of a hate group? Yeah, we've been designated as a hate group. Well, you're looking at the president and vice president of <laughs> yeah. that hate group. The Sherwood mayor here. designated them a hate group. So, I mean. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> the, the, the Southern poverty folks just amaze me. They well, really do. Like I said on Facebook yesterday, we ain't scared. Well, nah, don't no, be, no. Don't be scared. <laughs> All these two you mess with out. our babies. And I'm it, telling it gets you what, when the, when the bar fight starts, I'm on their side. I'm just going to tell you right now. Okay. I don't care who anyone sleeps with, but why do we have to tell 5 to 11-year-olds who we sleep with? That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. We've been talking about that. Now, which core report are you on? I'm on Pulaski. Oh, you're on the Pulaski. Okay. We're going to talk to her about the homeless stuff too, as well next week. Well, yeah, we got to get her on. That, that's really we had we had uh, uh, who was it, Tracy? Tracy, yeah, on and, uh, uh, talking about it and all the great answers well, she, she didn't get from the mayor, and then all the great answers she hasn't gotten from the judge. I I, I brought up the model, the Austin model that. Place County Judge Barry Hyde wants to use, and I said that a few minutes ago, and she's doing what she's doing right now. She's just shaking her head. 
I have a, a manager. I'm in sales, and he lives in Austin. And he said they just did this, and now there's lawsuits flying up because you have people in multi-million-dollar condos who pay for that, and now their view is a homeless camp. Right. I mean, they didn't pay for that. That's no, right. Of course, they didn't pay for that. Yeah. They never paid for that. A lot of the homeless people, even though they're not paying for it, they don't want to go there. That's they right. They will not stay there all day. They will. They will sleep there sporadically. I'm not sure what the base of this is going to be. There's no end goal. It just doesn't accomplish Well, anything. there is no base because yeah. they don't know what they're talking about yet. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, the mayor couldn't give a, a definition of what a homeless person was. I but, heard I heard the other day, um, Dr. James Lindsay's a big, I'm a big fan of his, and he, he's the one that wrote that Marxism, of, the Marxism of education, or the Marxification of education. But he was also talking about... Um, how they use these words and they turn them in and they're not calling them homeless anymore they're calling them unhomed unhomed <laughs> because that that's if what you the think about does. it yeah if you think about it that's saying that somebody took your home yeah uh-huh. you were unhomed you oh, were yeah. kicked out of your house you were your house was stolen from you yeah and that's why they're having so much problem with squatters now squatters yes. show up in somebody's house they go on vacation they come back and somebody's living in their home they ask the police to have them removed, and the police won't take them out. That that actually, that's a, what folks it's have actually said. That happening. Happened. Has that, that happened, happened in Arkansas yet? Oh yeah, in it Arkansas. Happened to my brother-in-law in Conway. Mm-hmm. He has oh. a he has a property, and and he didn't have anybody in it at the time, and he actually had a squatter in there. Oh, and, that's uh, crazy. Yeah, and so uh, of course you know tried to do it one way, and no, you can't do that. So. My brother-in-law did it another way. (laughs) (laughs) Out there where I live, that gets taken care of. (laughs) Let's talk about this, about about Pulaski County, because we talked for a short moment last week. What exactly is the the judge trying to do? Well, they they paid, from what I understand, Garver half million dollars to do a land use study that was the amount of money allocated we do not know how much of that was actually paid yet we can find that out later but right now that was the amount of money allocated to use for the land use survey what's what's the purpose of it well there was a citizen who is upset about some development happening so that person's goal was to try and tie their hands and zone development out there um, as Karen and I will say, this was not this was overreach of government. I think it was a knee-jerk reaction to stop the development because now the whole of Pulaski County um, will be zoned, mm. not just for development. I don't, I don't know if it was unintentional. I think a lot of it's intentional. I think opportunity. I th- yeah, I think there's a lot of unincorporated area in Pulaski County, and I think this is a way for the judge. To control, you know, one of his plans is um, he's working to get all these bike trails and walking trails and all that. Well, you start doing a land use plan where you can designate this area is going to be green space and this area is going to be a bike trail. Well, that makes it real easy to go in an eminent domain somebody's land and just put a bike trail through the middle now, of their land. Now, it's the reason that he wants to build bike trails out in the rural areas is because. He'd have hell to pay if if he tried to get the mayor to do it here in the urban areas. Well, they're working with all the mayors trying to get these things to go all the way across the county. I just think this is all part of that quality of place. You know, that's 
that's one of the liberal terms you'll hear quality of place we need quality of place well quality of place involves the government coming in and taking somebody's private land to turn it into something for community use so are they moved away from just doing the old railroad beds and moving them into other areas as well i mean rebecca are you hearing that are they talking about that I have not heard that. And they're pretty hush-hush. Like on the quorum court, all, of course. <laughs> all we heard was that these meetings were happening. I attended the one in Ferndale, well, off of Highway 10. She attended the one on her area. Um, and overwhelmingly, citizens were strongly against this, very upset that the government is even trying to zone unincorporated. Um, I do not think it came from the citizen who wanted this was just trying to stop development from happening. But in doing so, the rest of the unincorporated is going to be zoned. So, and I, I mean the feeling, so there's three areas of unincorporated, or three unincorporated areas in Pulaski. North Pulaski has about 22,000. I think um, Ferndale, Roland has about 11. And then I think there's one other area in, is it Southwest? That's 5,000. So, yeah, no, people. Oh, people, okay. So, North Pulaski is by far the largest unincorporated area. And they were very upset. I mean, their, their response to development was if the land's for sale and he has the money to buy it, then he or she gets to buy it and do what they want with it. Like, you know, my philosophy has always been if you want to live in the woods, you better buy the woods. Because you, you don't get to control what your neighbor does. You can't be a Republican and be for individual liberties until you don't like what your neighbor's doing. Well, see, I, I got a lot of people got irritated with me when they built the Walmart down on Highway 10. Mm. And the people that are a little bit up on the hill were moaning and groaning, or you're ruining our, our viewpoint. And I, and I said, well, you didn't think anything when you built your house yeah. about the people behind you. You ruined their viewpoint. Yeah, you absolutely. know. absolutely. So it... it if you buy the land, it's your land. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm all about that. That's yeah. the way it should be. But it shouldn't be, you shouldn't be told what you can do on no. your land. Now, I do, I do agree that developers shouldn't um, negatively impact the people around them, and not necessarily from a viewpoint, but bigger things than that, like watershed. You know, mm-hmm. I think they had some watershed issues. Well, and, it's responsible development. Yeah. But I don't deal with that. That's, but there are laws in place for that. You yeah. can't tra- well, change the natural. No, in unincorporated, we have found that there aren't strong laws to protect the surrounding neighbors from developers coming in. I mean, if you watch the Rick Ferguson right now, out, he's trying to do some development. I think it's Paradise Valley. Um, the people of Roland are, have a strong, it's called Pinnacle Coalition. Like, they're fighting this um, because they want responsible development. Well, as far as, like, like watershed there there are laws that you can't change the natural course of water flow and things like Mm -hmm. that to protect on that end what you're going at though is unincorporated areas have never had these zoning cards i do understand that you know a lot of the municipalities and counties have the agreement with five miles outside the city limits uh, goes to city planning commission zoning laws and things like that I was raised eight miles down a dirt road, and I think that's where we're going to, the unincorporated areas. And so this sounds to me that they want to do a grab and start doing zoning regulations and put that. Now, as a quorum court member, uh, have you looked into, is there any legalities on that that would allow the county to do that? To do what? To, to, to put in zoning laws. 
out in the unincorporated or take I mean, governmental control. I think that's the plan. The this plan will come is, before yeah, the quorum court after they get through. That's my question. Yes. So there, there would be a quorum court vote. Yes, but the, the, that should be scary because how many JPs actually have unincorporated? I think it's five out of 15. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. As far as the quorum court makeup, how many JPs are on there that, that live in actual cities that don't live in incorporated areas or maybe have a more liberal, bigger government point of and view? And how many JPs have been at the meetings? I've seen myself, Phil Stowers, KG, even though that's you know its own mess right now. Now, the Caps has been at my meeting. Who did you see at yours besides uh, Phil? Phil. Was, Phil, was the only, Phil and KG were the only two at mine. And I, and I really... You know, my the paper screwed up, totally screwed up what I told her. I don't even know where she got half of that. But I don't think she pays attention yeah. to anything. So my thing to her was the JPs that don't have people in unincorporated areas should have been at these meetings because this will come before them for a vote. And they should have been here to hear what these constituents in the unincorporated areas feel about that. And I'm telling you, they did a um, one of those little polls, live poll, where mm-hmm. you ask a question, you type the answer in on your phone, it pops up. You're right. And <clears throat> they asked, what are two words to describe what you want the unincorporated area to look like in 2045? And their answers were, leave alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stay out. Yeah. Go away. <laughs> that sounds interesting. All right. 19 after 10, we're going to talk about this even more. To talk to Rebecca some more. So Phil Stowers is standing against us as well. Um, as far as what Karen, I wasn't at that meeting because he didn't come to mine. Okay. He came to Karen's meeting, and I think he had some strong words. Yeah, I think I think he wants to do what the unincorporated people want to do. He's well, I'll he's, get him on. He's in an unincorporated yeah, district. That's a good idea. Yeah, I think he does see. You know, he gets complaints on people complain about their neighbors and people complain about development, but. I think he got a real good message the other day that we want him, We don't want him out there. We don't want him telling right, us what well, to do. Let's, let's talk more about this when we come back because you said they're putting this all together. Have you seen what they're putting together yet? Well, they said they have no plans right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the mayor about the homeless yeah, thing. Yeah, it does, yeah. doesn't it? We're going to do this, but we don't have a plan right no, now. That's, that's what's we don't know what we're going to do. That's why they have their meetings because they're going to – our opinions are going to be their plans. Oh, okay. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about this more. <laughs> 20 minutes after 10, the Dave Ellswick Show. Stick around. we got more for you. All right. Let me try to get this correct. In the unincorporated area, there is a, there's a, a construction company that wants to come out and work that, that land. Now, to do that, they're going to have to get the, the, uh, the judge, and they're going to have to get you, like you, Rebecca, to vote for that. They say that they've got a pl- they got a plan, but they're not sharing the plan. No, they said they do not have a plan. They don't have a plan. That's why they're having these community meetings because they want to get a quote unquote feel of what the community wants, and then they're going to base their plan off of that. So okay. Garver's an engineering company, I think, and they work with Metro Plan, which you probably Uh-oh. heard of. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's right. right. So I'm, I'm the, cleansing yeah. my studio Metro right plan, now. Metro Plan was involved in this whole deal, and it's basically, you know, they want to zone it like you'd zone a city. You know, this area is commercial, this area is mm-hmm. residential. Without any of the city perks. Yeah. That doesn't, but they don't have the right to do that, do they? Well, if the quorum court votes for it, they do. But and a lot of the questions was, 
okay, if the city comes out here, we have no representation in the city. I mean, we have a quorum court, but we don't have any representation on the city. The unincorporated areas really do not have a voice on the quorum court because there's only five out of the 15 members that have unincorporated yeah, areas. So that's exactly right. If the judge wants it and the 10 that don't have any constituents that can vote for them in that area go with him we don't we're just sitting ducks like we just sit out here we don't have you're a at way. The mercy even if all five yeah. of ours vote against it, it doesn't yeah matter. you're still yeah. overridden yeah yeah i understand what you're saying here again this this the people didn't come to the judge and say hey we want to look to this this had to be his idea well i think there was some pushback there was some pushback um from a member in my district i, I think it was meant well because they're trying Mm -hmm. to stop some of the development or not necessarily stop but have more restrictions for responsible development and then doing that asking for this plan use study i think it's going to backfire because now all of the unincorporated will be zoned instead Mm -hmm. of going by a case-by-case basis um or even putting more like karen mentioned on developments you can put more restrictions that they have to be up to code so if the county has to take care of them you know the county will pay for them and the county has a planning a planning board like they could have them come before the planning board and give them their plans and they can look at how it impacts the other areas and that can be done through an ordinance this is like i mean that's the way it should be done yeah this is like cutting a limb off for scratch like they're they're going big when they didn't need to so i'm this is probably going to be well no this is actually a good analogy criminals look for opportunity oh 100 percent. this was someone was waiting for this to happen right. and it happened and it has now go time so they initiated to do a study because they saw an opportunity mm-hmm. barry hyde saw an opportunity he initiates to get a study done that costs the taxpayers how much there was a half a million, 500,000 allocated for the study. We do not know how much of that was has been given to Carver yet, but that's how much money they were allowed to spend. Do you know when they're supposed to have this done? The study? Oh, there is a timeline. So I, I believe it's supposed to be up in front of the quorum court in the next year, year and a half at the latest. People who are, you know, guns to the wall, balls to the wall kind of thing, sounds like to me they're going slow they need to be at every, all of the unincorporated need to be at every quorum court to, and i think you kill you yeah because you don't know when they're going to vote on no, things and you catch more flies with honey so i think we can't be nasty but i think the quorum court especially the jps who do not um, have unincorporated need to hear from the citizens and apparently the jps aren't coming to the planning meeting so that those citizens have to come to the quorum court to get their voice heard yeah, I really feel like they, I mean, before they do the next round of community meetings, I'll probably send some emails to the JPs and just say, I, you enough. need to be out. Well, just telling them you need to be at those meetings. You need to hear what. Well, you need what, to know what's going on yeah. before you vote. Hear well, from the people that you're going to affect. I think you need to show up, and I think there needs to be yeah. people showing yep. up asking oh, I, these JPs. I, I, I think showing up is, is a big thing. I think, don't get me wrong, I think you email, you do everything, you call but the big thing i think is showing up absolutely well and if i'm not mistaken public comments are at the end they're at the end you sign up you have to make sure to sign up before the meeting or they will not let you speak and then public comment is at the end so that's the problem is if you wait until the meeting where they're going to discuss and vote on this issue it's too late yeah Yeah. it's too late have a public comment so when are the meetings rebecca 
that's right, the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month at 6 o'clock. Downtown, uh, let me get you the County address. building, right? County yeah. building yeah. on the fifth floor? Third fourth floor. Let me ask you Been this. They've done that. Because <laughs> most corn courts in cities, a lot of them will do this. If there's an ordinance or issue that's going to be up to vote, they also have, not at, during public comments, but when that is before the board, they allow uh, citizens pro and con. Your corn court doesn't do that? No. Wow. That's that's a show. So... The only time and you that's get input, a judge, that's a judge problem. That I'm is just telling you that's yeah. a that's a judge problem. And I don't think it always was that way. I think public comments were at the beginning. Um, I know back several years ago they tried to do a um, ordinance for dogs or pets in the unincorporated area. They wanted them to be registered and licensed. You had to pay a fee. And I do remember speaking about that prior to the meeting, or at the beginning of the meeting, not the end of That's the meeting. That's when the lines was judged. No, that was that was Hyde. And was he said Hyde? he was okay. trying, you know, he had complaints about all these strays. And okay, well, hold on. Okay. We'll come back. Yeah. We'll, we'll revisit that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, let me tell you about Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. Father's Day is... Well, what is it? This coming weekend, I think, if I'm not... Next weekend. Not, next weekend. Yeah. Okay, so you got another week. All right, you're lucky. Uh, what do I suggest for Dad? Okay, get him a watch. Just tell me, watches are a big thing with men now. Pinky rings are not. They no. were back <laughs> no. when I was growing up. They pinky aren't rings now. Are out. No. Remember pinky rings with the star sapphire? <laughs> yeah. Now, Didn't that, like them then. Don't ain't, like them that now. That ain't the big thing now. You don't want to do this. So yeah. do a watch or uh, talk to uh, Eric over there because he's really big into using uh, – common earth elements and things of that nature big heavy jewelry that most men would uh, you know pay attention to uh, give him a call uh, at uh, 501-246-3655 about getting some ideas and stop by and visit him 3000 Cavanaugh Suite E he's open Monday through Saturday 10 till 6 and Eric Coleman is a great conservative you'll love the guy he's a great guy Hillcrest designer jewelry all right, so I, I sent a text out to Shane Stacks because he was a part of the uh, Pulaski County Quorum Court under Judge Valines. And uh, I asked him, was public comment before or after y'all voted on an issue? And uh, here's Shane Stacks. Before, public comment after the vote is just pretending. Yeah, I don't know when it changed, but I do know I'd gone and spoke several times. But it had to be a hide thing then. I mean, this was when Hyde was in there. I spoke on that dog ordinance, so, and I know it was before, and said there was a bunch of us that signed up to speak against it. At some okay. point, it changed for a reason because yeah. it's they they don't want that. They don't have the to. Vote. Well, you yeah. don't have to pay attention to yeah. anybody. That's something maybe we can get Rebecca to change. Yes. So when I came in, <laughs> yeah, look at Rebecca. I've got a million things that I'm trying to get changed. I was a freshman, and. I, you know, in the class, no one likes it when the new kid comes in and, you know, throws a fit. So I think it's best to learn. Yeah. And, you know, Demo- a lot of these issues on the on the quorum court are bipartisan. Um, you know, and you'll find that with the votes. It's not all Republicans that vote for something and same for the Democrats. Um, but this is something that should be changed because we are the closest elected officials to you know, the people. The, the people. So Absolutely. We need to hear from the people. Well, transparency, right? Absolutely. Yeah. What do I always talk about? I mean, I understand everybody wants to pay attention to what's going on in Washington, 
but that's not what's going to affect your life. That's what's going to affect your life is what the city council's doing, your school board's doing, and your quorum court's doing. I saw that with the mask mandate. It wasn't the state that was masking our kids. Yeah. It was the school board. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, and this is where uh, Karen and Rebecca, and I'm going to throw Wendy Potter. Mm-hmm. We'll take her. We claim her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, those three together, <laughs> the, the, the tray factor with these, are, these three are really something because that's what – that's what they do, and not just on this issue, but other issues. The, these ladies really try to change things at the local level, which is how you get things changed nationally. That's and how you keep it. the government yeah. out of your business. Yeah, I'll tell you, that's well, exactly and, and how you, you know, do it. Just like we were talking, Moms for Liberty has been designated as a hate group. I, I think the PCSSD school board can tell you that even when we were not or at odds with them, which we're not now, we were never ugly. We were never hateful. We never, you know, we most of our stuff has been done talking to them one one by one, not going to board meetings yelling and screaming, but reaching out one by one. And you really realize that these board members, especially school boards, they're unpaid. They're volunteers, and they really do just want the best for your children. They just don't always know how to go about it or, or realize what they're doing. So we actually have a really good relationship with the school board. At oh PCSSD. yeah, yeah. Not so much with the group in Cabot, which they tried. No. They tried to get the hell out of there. Well, yeah. and you know what? That's that's a great example of how to do things and how not to do Catch things. Catch more yeah. flies that's with right. honey than vinegar. You know, we have we have groups that go out and call our. Republican legislators, rhinos, and you know, some of it's deserved, but again, do you, you're not going to get anywhere. You're better off going through an election and trying to primary them, and but talk to them first and find out what their thoughts are. I think the thing that that you guys do really well is is that you're extremely civil, and you listen to the other side, and I think that's that's important to for people to understand about y'all because when when people look at, at Karen and Rebecca and Mary, uh, Mary Jo Townsend, the mayor of Sherwood, she did, she very publicly designated Karen a hate person, Rebecca a hate person, and just talk. And you can tell on the radio here they're, they're not. What you guys do that I think is great is you really go in to deal with an open mind. You don't go in looking to have a dogfight with anybody, and you can sit across the table from people of different thought and listen to them. Doesn't mean you're going to agree with them, but yeah, and I think that's yeah. But where the problem is, and I've run into this a lot. You go to talk to the person on the other side, and they don't want to have a conversation. No, one hundred percent. They just not. want to tell you yes. what you're going to do. Yes, I just and, and had a guy call out of the blue, call because I was chair of Bonds for Liberty, and. He, we obviously didn't agree. I mean, that was evident from the first couple of minutes of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I listened to him for probably 10 minutes and answered his questions. And I finally said, what, what's the point of your call? Well, I, I wanted to find out, you know, what you guys thought about stuff. I said, it's all out there. Yeah. I mean, we're not hiding anything. And I right. said, obviously, we don't agree. So I'm just trying to find out why you're calling me. Why don't you think you should listen to the other side? And I said, well, I have listened, but you didn't change my mind. And you're not going to change my mind. Is that what you thought this call was going to be? And he he said, "Well, you don't have to be belligerent." And I said, I, I, "How were you?" I wasn't. Yeah, you I, were. I'm trying to cook dinner for my family, dude. Yeah. I just yeah, right. I just want to know when this conversation is going to end and what we were trying to get out of it. So. Right, and, and rightly so. So, Rebecca, I've had Alan Kerr as a, a member of the appeals uh, court. Court used to come on my show constantly, and uh, he was going in and 
tearing apart the budget and and showing people how bad money was being spent. Then I had Shane Stacks come on, and he we would always talk, and he would bring up what was going on. And raises was the big thing when he was was on there. So you have now put the target on you that you're now the Dave Ellswick spokesman <laughs> on the Quorum Court, so that you can come on and tell us what's going on. I will certainly do my best. I am still learning. Um, there is so much nuance. There's rules, um, you know, things that I didn't like before that I thought might not be good votes. I now understand why they were voted that way, and I think it's really important, like we were speaking about earlier, um, just because Republicans don't vote the way we think we should vote, we should have a conversation because there is probably a good reason um, that that vote was cast that way. Um, again, on the quorum court, we Republicans are a minority, so anybody who lives a large minority, a large yeah. minority, um, <laughs> who lives in a district that has a Democrat JP, and you want and you're interested, please reach out to Carrie and I. We can definitely um, get you get your boots on the ground. That is the only way any of this will change in the future. Um, we, we need ten seats on the quorum court flipped over to yeah. ours. <laughs> yeah, you get what you have. How many? How many? Five. Are those, are those really good Republicans, or are they? Who knows? Good? They never get a vote for anything that's right. conservative. So you don't know until until there is a, a majority conservative court. Well, a lot of the issues on the court are bipartisan. Like, yeah. I haven't seen a lot of straight issues. Um, you know, keeping the. Um, Pulaski County Sheriff in check is is huge, and I think we should spend more time with that when we have more time to talk. Um, there are some huge things going on that are unethical by the current Been proven. Sheriff. Been proven. And Been proven. And they're still happening. Yeah. Um, and this it needs to be addressed. I don't know how we're going to ever change that. I would, I would settle you for a— You've got to change him to change that. I would mm-hmm. settle for a light blue Democrat at this point in that position, someone <laughs> who has a backbone or, you know, has integrity would be what we need, Democrat the, or not. The problem you, you have on a lot of these issues, too, is, is what your power is and what you can do. People have a misconception that you can do something about the county judge or the county sheriff, and you can't. What you He's can, elected. Yeah, what you could, uh, you control the purse strings, of course, and so that's one way to be effective. But you just can't remove a county sheriff. He's an elected official. And unfortunately, anything you do to penalize him hurts our officers. That's the problem. And it's not the their budget. fault. That right. I just casted a vote for that because I did not think it was necessary, and I would maybe do it over again. Um, the last vote there was a uh, pay increase for a certain amount of months, like a hiring bonus. Well, the sheriff got up there in the previous meeting and said there were zero vacancies. So why am I going to vote for a a hiring bonus when you just told me there were no vacancies? Um, But I will say there is a bipartisan movement that is on to him and his unethical purse. He would spend every dime of our county's money if he could. Um, And even the Democrats were not happy about that. No, it's not, but it boils down to what what Dave said. For that to change, he has to be not elected. I, I, I draw the same parallel. We to need to get Blue in there. Well, yeah. The, the Here's the deal. We Blue, tried. Blue Keller ran a great campaign. <laughs> he yes, he did. He ran a great campaign, and his staff uh, came out with facts in, the, in hard evidence, proof of unethical behavior, misappropriation of funds, Da, 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 uh, well, you know what was bad Higgins. about that, Jimmy? Because uh, I know the unethical 
material you're talking about. We talked about sure. it here on the, the air about, you know, gambling and things of that nature that were going on. And, and, and we brought that out. And I know, look, I know the TV stations listen to the show because I'll see my, the things that we talk about show up in stories on TV stations. They wouldn't touch that with no. a 10-foot pole. Why they is that? Are they just afraid of it? Same reason they wouldn't touch Frank Scott. Mitch McCoy is the only one that would, and that's the reason I always like Mitch. Is, but I'm drawing a parallel because it's the same thing with Frank Scott. All that information came out, and even without the new TV stations, the word was out on Higgins just like we brought the word out on Frank Scott on all his unethical and corrupt behavior and misappropriation funds. Everybody knew it. But they, but they still voted, and that's that's the issue that you have. At the end of the day, Pulaski County is a Democrat county. Yeah, that's you better why believe it. I think it's it's hard blue. My opinion, and it might not be with all Republicans, with one is we need to help find a light blue Democrat to run against Higgins because we know a Republican is not going to win. If here's the, here's the reality, and I said it on Frank Scott and said it on show, and Dave not told me. Here's the reality in both races. The sheriff's race and the mayor's race. If if you would have had a a black Democrat run against Higgins, or a black Democrat run against or liberal run against Frank Scott, okay, totally different, totally different race. Then you have an opportunity, and that's just the reality of it. Okay, so you take Higgins. He had blue Keller, solid guy, and everything. Would have been a great sheriff. Okay, but the reality was he was white. And so, if, say, Higgins had an opponent that was black and didn't even have to be far left, but somewhat somewhat a Democrat, Higgins is not here today. I 100% if that believe that. I think that's what, to your point, that's right? That's what we need to yeah. do. Like, I know we want Republicans in the office, but we've got to play this game smarter. All right, we're going to move on. i got to take a break. Who was the sheriff before Higgins? Oh, Doc, Doc Holliday. I rest my case. But he ran as a Democrat. I know. I, that's what <laughs> that's I just what I'm said. That's yeah. my case. All, <laughs> yeah. right. All right, back. Final segment of the Dave Ellswick Show. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 